Welcome to the First Time Podcast's third annual Oscar special. If this is the first time you're listening to First Time Podcast, this is an interesting one to jump in on because usually my show is talking about one movie or one experience, and uh, if you've clicked this, you know what this is. You've, this is our third annual, like I said. Uh, so without further ado, my guest today is a friend, a filmmaker, and the Oscar pool champion. Welcome <laughs> back, Brian Crew. Thanks for having me back. I love doing this. This is the best. (laughs) I'm glad you have that positive attitude because most people I hear feedback from are like, holy crap, that guy is a champion for doing what he does. Uh, (laughs) And when we were talking about the preparation for this uh, and doing some Googling, I found that people are calling it the Oscar death race, which is a bit (laughs) intimidating. But uh, I love that you sort of look forward to it. I think it's the best thing ever. I mean, I love... I love movies and you know there's the great time in the summer where we get to watch all the big blockbusters and the uh, all those wonderful films but there's also this time of the year where you get to watch all the art house films and you have this wonderfully curated pre-provided list from the academy that tells you what are some of the best films of the year you know there always are going to be things that they leave out but you have a really great list of amazing films that you can watch and it's a great place to start so you know having a little challenge of all of watching the best films for the year I'll take it. I love it. Well, the last time we were on here was for the Oscars last year. Um, Mm -hmm. A few things happened since then. A couple things. One, you know, I guess we have to address the big thing that happened at the Oscars last year. We won't get too much into it, but (laughs) uh, none of us, you know, (laughs) predicted that there would be a physical altercation on stage. First time ever. Yeah, first and hopefully last time ever. Uh, It's been talked about to death, so we won't get into that, but... The last time we talked, you were in post on two shorts, and oh, yeah. since then we have gathered in in person. We hung mm-hmm. out at a film festival, and you have been all over your film festival. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, you've been to a, I don't know how many. Can do you know off the top of your head how many festivals the films uh, have played at? I, I think we're with the ones that are coming up. I think we're over twenty five for both films each. So we're doing pretty good. Uh, Flat Earther uh, kind of came in a little later. Cabaseo, where it says our Argentine tango dance film, premiered at Phoenix last year, and we're taking it full circle this year. Uh, Flat Earther is playing Phoenix in about three weeks. And so it kind of is a good year mark anniversary to have both films in that festival. But both films are playing Los Angeles in two weeks at the First Glance Film Festival. And in between, they were playing the Underexposed Film Festival in South Carolina. And how many were you able to go to in the last year? Uh, I've lost, I haven't counted, uh, probably at least uh, 15. I, I missed a couple. I missed like, there was funny, there was one weekend there was like three and I come back from the Orlando Film Festival and of course I went to Florida and caught COVID. So I missed like three or four film festivals uh, that I didn't want to miss, <laughs> but I had to because of that. But for the most part, I've been to almost all of them. And uh the responses have been fantastic. I think the most interesting response from Flat Earther happened at your festival at the after party. So um, it was, uh, it, it's been really fun to go around the country and actually get the different opinions of people, especially Flat Earther, because it is, it's about two people who talk about conspiracy theories on a date and we represent both sides. And so it's fun to see the different points of view that people have on that. So is it uh, too much for me to ask? Because I, I don't know if the, I know this story about... Uh... Yeah, we were at the after party at the bar across the street from the Capitol, and um, big guy um, who I guess had been in the army and was now working at being a stand-up comic kind of walks up to me, and I don't know any of this, and he just like 
walks up to me kind of intimidating and just goes, the first thing I'm going to tell you is I think everyone should own a gun. And I'm like, this is going to go great. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then he actually said, you know, thank you for showing both points of view. And I was like, did I show both points of view? I thought I threw the other side. I thought I threw the conservative point of view under the bus and under the bus and then drove over that point of view. But he had actually saw his point of view represented in our film. And I was really thought that was a credit to the actors who adapted the stage play that Flat Earth was based on with me, um, that we actually dug in deep and, and he saw his point of view represented in the film, even though we didn't agree with it. So that was really bizarrely one of the best compliments that I thought the film could possibly have. Because when we were making it, I don't think, I remember talking with Joe Holt, the lead actor, going, yeah, we're never going to reach anybody on their side. But we actually did. And so that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not surprising in Iowa. I'm surprised you only had one person and that he, he wasn't <laughs> angry, but uh, you, yeah. get a, you get a eclectic mix here. I mean, you're from Minnesota, so you sort of know mm-hmm. the Midwest in general. Uh, you, you definitely have a mix of people, but uh, do you have any other really like memorable festival experiences in the last year? Oh, uh, I mean, really, it's just to me, it is always just amazing sitting in any theater in anywhere in the country and just hearing people. It, it's hearing the audiences react. Um, there was a one here, the, the NoHo Cinefest, which is also they run the New York Cinefest. And being in that theater in particular it was a real it's the best technical presentation we had had it was a theater over in Glendale. And um, the audience was, was dialed in and you could hear especially again with flat earther you could hear during the conversation as it unfolds because flat earther shot as one shot one nine minute take and they and people just kind of forget that that's happening and get dialed into this conversation and there are a couple moments where they just could feel the conversation shift and you just hear somebody go oh no (laughs) (laughs) and and they know suddenly they realize oh crap it's going this direction and uh that's really fun to see and the same with cabaseo because it's it is this argentine tango dance fantasy but you know if you're watching a block of shorts you don't always have researched what the shorts are you're just watching these films so it starts out it's in a club there's no dialogue there's kind of sound effects and then suddenly this tango starts and we put in some kind of Sergei Leone style uh, pauses, like before a gunfight, but it's a dancing. And you can hear sometimes some some people always sort of realize what the film is and what we're doing, and they kind of go ha ha ha. And it's like this laugh of recognition. It's not laughing at the film. It's like I recognize this. I know what you're doing, and it's awesome. And it's that's always fun to see because it's a very particular kind of laugh, and it's great. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing a movie with a live audience and and film festivals are a whole separate thing because those people aren't just going to a movie to kill time. They are Mm -hmm. going for the experience. They want to see the films with the filmmakers and it's just great to be back. And it was great to see you and Mm -hmm. and Andrew was there. And I mean, I I can't list everybody, but (laughs) just being around everybody and uh, just, you know, it's just good to sort of, be back in that and feel normal for a little bit again. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome to be back in that theater. I hadn't been there since I think 2015 for Una my other short, and it was the the one thing I love about, especially you know, 
it is it is Iowa. It's a smaller town, but I find the smaller towns have the best audiences, and that's what's really great is because they're the most engaged. They want to ask the most questions. They want to dig in. It was a great Q and A after because uh, I was I think I missed the the Cabaseo screening. I couldn't get out there during the weekday, but I was there for Flat Earther, and the audience was really engaged and just asked wonderful questions. And um, typical fashion, I kind of zone out and just answer things, and I. I blur, but I just remember really great uh, engagement, and they actually laughed at my jokes, which I'm like, well, that's that's nice. I, <laughs> I guess my nervous energy is uh, is 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 rolling with this just fine. <laughs> do you do you find with Flat Earther like other filmmakers approach you and they're like they they recognize the the single shot style versus uh, audiences? I was I was thinking about this. I'm like audiences are probably that that don't make films don't recognize how incredibly hard that is their focus more on the subject where filmmakers are like how'd you get that shot man sometimes they do and sometimes they don't it's been one of the more interesting things about flat earther is the number of people who actually don't realize it like they get caught up in the conversation that's happening in the show and they they all right we've even have some reviews online where people um, there's one review that's my favorite is a bad review. They didn't like the film. And they said, I, I covered the film really standard and there was no, nothing interesting about the coverage. And I was like, there is no coverage. Right. And they were just watching. Apparently though, they were, I, I kind of took it as a compliment because it was like, they were watching the film. So, and even though they didn't agree or didn't like the story, they were so involved in, in the, in it that they actually didn't pay attention to that. There were no edits. And so and I've seen several reviews, good and bad. There's only the one bad, but a lot of the good ones even where they actually, one of my good friends, uh, um, Nick LaRue, who runs Film Snobbery, he reviewed the whole thing and uh, he sent me the review and he was really proud. And I was like, did you notice it was one shot? Because he didn't mention it. And I was like, he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it, it, it's, it's only one, it's one nine minute shot. And he went back and like, how did I miss that? And I was like, that's a compliment. Th it's, a, it's the best compliment ever. And so when I noticed that and when people say that, I mean, I also love it. Like we were in um, Orlando um, and was it, I won't get into it, but it wasn't a technically great screening. Um, but they were so, there were other filmmakers there and they came after me and they, they, they were very, they were young filmmakers and they grilled me for a good 20 minutes outside the theater about how we pulled off the one shot. And they're like, it just kept going and going. And how did you do that? And what was that like? And it was, it's, it is really gratifying when people, because I think that's the thing is when you're making a one shot film, everybody wants you to not do it. Like the cinematographer is like, I could like this better if you'd broken into coverage. The actors are like, you know, we could walk out of frame here and go to coverage and you can get close ups and we could really get the nuances. And you, you're kind of always, no, we're doing this as one shot. Like this is <laughs> what this is supposed to be. And it's not going to be as effective. And I think that's what is great about the nature of that conversation because it is based on a stage play. You're used to watching the actors kind of, um, you know, do that in real setting. And there's kind of that dangerous quality to theater where you're watching a conversation and a confrontation unfold in front of you and you can't stop it. And that was the feeling that I wanted to bring to into a movie. And the one take is the best way to do that because there is no letting up the gas, but you have to make sure you're always got your foot on the gas. You have to make sure there's tension. Like the last rehearsal day we did two days before the shoot, the actors and I just went through and crossed out a bunch of lines to make sure the momentum was going to keep going. We actually edited kind of edited the movie in rehearsals before we shot it. Well, the, yeah, um, with a single tension. shot, you'd have to, because, mm -hmm. yeah, you can't... I mean, there's obviously posts, but not in what most people think with edits. The post is, yeah, yeah coloring and, and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of a catch-22, because you want people to recognize the skill it took to shoot it in one shot, but you also want them to be so engaged that they don't even think about that. So, yeah. 
it's cool that you hear both sides of it. And yeah, I think that's the thing. Is really when nobody notices it's one shot. I think that's that to me is is just as good of a compliment because hey, we, we you were involved in my story and you weren't paying attention to the filmmaking because I think that's one thing that can happen with one shot. It can be showy, and so if you were so involved that you didn't notice that it was one shot, we weren't showy enough to distract from the story. You just felt the energy of what we were doing, and that's the best compliment. Absolutely. So, anything in the works currently, or you still uh, have these out on the the fest circuit? We're on the festival circuit. We'll probably be winding down this summer. Uh, and I have a science fiction script called uh, Calypso, a tentative title, which is about the spaceship Calypso, which is going to be Earth's first faster-than-light ship. And it has a crew of five that are a very diverse group of opinions and people. And they're going to uh, encounter something that's going to challenge how they view communication. And is the communication that they're receiving a threat or an, a call for help? And they have to decide. And their choice will have drastic consequences. And it's within a spaceship. I mean, the, the first, the first yeah. thing I hear is spaceship and I'm like, Oh geez, the budget. You know? <laughs> it is 100% in a spaceship. So we'll, it's a feature film. So we'll oh, be, okay. well, the challenge will be building a, you know, it's, it's going to be the opposite where we can just like Cabaseo and flat earth or, Hey, we rent a cool restaurant and you shoot in the cool restaurant. This is going to be, we have to build a two-level interior of a spaceship and make a 90-minute, 100-minute feature film that actually is tense and interesting inside that staged environment. So you're kind of dipping into a little bit of that alien territory. Um, so production design will be a much larger character than anything I've ever done before. So that's kind of a fun challenge. But we haven't, we're still figuring out the script. So actually, I'm going to do another draft of the script here, and then we're going to do a budget, and I'll bring a concept artist on, and we'll start designing, and hopefully... Uh, I, hopefully next time next year when we do this for the fourth annual Oscar podcast, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be taking a break from pre-production. Yeah. You can just, uh, tweet over to, you know, Mr. Elon and show him, <laughs> show him flat earther and tell him, you know, yeah. Can we borrow one of your spaceships <laughs> Yeah, totally. and, and can you fund our, our film? And he will totally be on board. Uh, that's a hundred percent. We'll shoot it in space. We're going to beat Tom Cruise. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I love it. Great idea. Done. Sold. I, I like it. You, you, you just got an associate producer credit. Easy. <laughs> as easy as that, folks. It's uh, easy as that. Well, well, speaking of Tom Cruise, I guess we can get into these uh, Oscar nominations. So yes. uh, let's kick it off. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So this year I'm going to read them in the order that they presented last year. Now, I tried to find if they had announced this year's order and they just announced like the second round of presenters today. So mm. I don't think they have the order out yet, but as always, um, and you know, I've been wondering, I should have looked this up before and maybe, you know, this, I, you always seem to know things. So when I ask, do, <laughs> do they do this kind of stuff on like DraftKings? Can I actually place money on this stuff? I'm, I'm sure you, I know you can in Vegas. I don't know if it's on DraftKings. I'm not enough of a sports guy to know that, but, uh, I do know, I do know, yeah, people go to Vegas and do place the bets and they run odds. So I, it's America. I'm sure if you want to bet on it, there is a way. It's, I was on a, a sports betting podcast last week and def, <laughs> definitely not my wheelhouse. I love watching football and I love watching mixed martial arts, but um, I am not a better. And so that was <laughs> totally unique experience. And so I just, it got me thinking like, you know, I know there's odds for all kinds of stuff, you know, but I think. Yeah, it's like someone will trip and you could make money. Someone could, you <laughs> yep. know, they announced the wrong person like they did with Moonlight and whatever. But uh, 
I guess we'll just jump into this first one, which is actress in a supporting role. Which is one of the most challenging of the year. Yeah, so we have Angela Bassett in uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow from The Whale, Carrie Condon from The Banshees of I... I... In Sheeran? In Sheeran. I, I always screw that up. I always like the Empire. I listen to the Empire Magazine podcast, and they just call it the Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Nice. I like that, too. Uh, and then we have Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Shu from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So how we sort of did this last year, I let you sort of pick who you your think will win based on all of your knowledge and uh, <laughs> all the award shows up to now and then sort of explain what you think if, if you were a voting member and it was up to you who you'd vote for okay well um this year's this is a really complicated one i think up until a couple of weeks ago with the sag awards i we all thought angela bassett had this wrapped up it's her second nomination she was nominated in 94 for um the uh, Tina Turner movie, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It. She won the Golden Globe. She won the Critics' Choice. Um, and every, all the indicators were kind of pointing that way. And then the SAG Awards happened and the BAFTA Awards happened. Now, it's easy to write off the BAFTA Awards because Carrie Condon won for uh, The Banshees of Insurance. But that's a British movie at the British Awards. So that kind of follows that they're going to go, they're going to lean that direction. So you can kind of write that off. But then the big one is, and the one, you, ones you have to put the most faith in for your Oscar predictions are the Guild Awards. And the SAG Awards, the Screen Actor Guild, uh, gave the award to Jamie Lee Curtis. And that was kind of a shock because she is competing against Stephanie Hsu, who's in the same movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I think everyone up until that point thought they would cancel each other out. Um, but now what we're, the running kind of theories is that Jamie Lee Curtis is a Hollywood legend. She, you know, she, her family obviously has history with Janet Lee and her father. I think they're both Oscar winners. So she would be winning the third family member to win an Oscar in that family. Um, Stephanie Hsu is a first time nominee. She's a wonderful actress. She's great in this. She's great in Marvelous Mace Maisel. She's going to have a long history. So I think it's kind of like first time nominees. That's your honor. It's okay. And same with Hung Chow. It's, it's her, it is her first nominee nomination. Um, she is wonderful in that movie and she's been wonderful in other movies. She was really great in the movie Downsizing a few years ago and probably one of my favorite movies of this year, which the Oscars completely ignored, which was The Menu. Yep. And she was awesome in that film. Um, and I'll be, you'll hear that, this rant a couple times about The Menu being left out and, not to, and it should not have been. Um, another actress that got left out was Dolly DeYoung from, uh, or Dion from uh, Triangle of Sadness, who if you've seen the second half of Triangle of Sadness, she owns that movie. <laughs> yeah. way. And I, I'm, I'm really kind of shocked that she did not get nominated, actually. But uh, I think because of the factors I talked about at the beginning here, it, it is between Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis, and it is a coin flip. Um, the one detractor from Angela Bassett, which is an odd one, is that it's a Marvel movie. And yeah. this is the first time anyone in a Marvel movie has even been nominated. And so that might be taken as a first-time nomination, even though Angela Bassett has been around for a long time. And they may decide, hey, we're not awarding a comic book film. Give it to the Hollywood legend. Now, the other argument, which this one could go in Angela Bassett's favor, is, and we'll talk more about this when we get to Best, best Actresses, but the Oscars kind of screwed up in nominating diverse actresses. They left two strong... Uh, 
African-American actresses out of the best actress category and awarding Angela Bassett, you know, right or wrong to think this way, but we all know it's Hollywood. It is about presentation and image. This may be a chance to give Angela Bassett the award, award an African-American actress and kind of the Academy save face. So at the end of the night, when they have those photos of all the winners, it is a diverse group looking at looking group of people um and for that reason i think angela bassett does have this i think that I, she's my pick to win but i would not be surprised if jamie lee curtis takes it i was not even expecting jamie lee curtis to get a nomination right and then when she did it was sort of like that's really cool that's sort of like a consolation prize you know at mm -hmm. this late in her career for a very strange role fantastic role i mean who thought somebody with wiggly fingers would get an academy award nomination it's amazing right <laughs> But yeah, and then she started winning, and I'm like, oh, okay, because yeah. uh, I thought the same thing. Though her and Stephanie are going to split the vote uh, and sort of cancel each other out, but I mean, she she keeps winning. So uh, I, out of all these movies, it's hard for me to pick like what I would vote for. I would mm -hmm. I would probably go with. I, I mean, it's hard for me not to go with Jamie Lee because I love the movie. I love yeah. the weird role. She really, really went for it, was not afraid to make herself look very strange and weird mm -hmm. and out there. And, you know, this could be her last call on this, you know, her first and last call. This could be it for her. So yep. it'd be cool to see her. I mean, to come from, you know, the whole Nepto baby thing is, is a big <laughs> uh, talk right now, but you know she i mean she, she's been around since 78 with halloween i think yeah. we're past that point <laughs> yeah but i mean it's just cool to think you know uh, you know laurie strode could win yeah. an oscar it's just it, like a badge yeah. of honor for a horror fan so 100 percent. i think you know i think that that's the thing is both angela bassett and jamie lee curtis have had incredibly long careers and they have gonna have good careers ahead of them so either one of them can wear the honor of best like both of them already deserve to be academy award-winning actresses so there's there's no, there's no question either one of them is deserving. So nobody's going to cry foul, I think, either way. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'll be happy if either one of them win. They both are, like I said, they're both really deserving. So do you have a, a favorite or, or is that like picking a favorite kid? Uh, no, like I said, I think Angela Bassett has this. I think, I think that the diversity factor will come into play. Um, and I do think that that ensemble and what was going on in Black Panther uh, for Chadwick Boseman and kind of how Angela Bassett stepped up and really took a hold of that film, like that scene when she walks in the UN and she's got the sleeveless shirt on and she's owning all the countries of the world. She's a badass, yeah. She's a badass, and I, 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 I she owns that movie and carries that movie in a way that very few supporting actresses really get a chance to do. But she, like, she really dominates that film, especially in the first half. All right. Well, as, as I always say, if you are a betting person, uh, don't blame us. If <laughs> uh, only blame Brian, because uh, no, I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying don't don't, uh, you know, trust us. For, don't put all your money on us, but uh, don't, especially yeah. don't listen to me. But if you're going to listen to either of us, listen to Brian, because he's huh. uh, done his homework. Let's say I mean, you know, either way, I, I think I missed two last year, but usually I miss four to five, uh, you know, of the nominees. And this is all theory take the information and use it as you will. Like I, I see people who use the exact same logic on Variety and Hollywood Reporter and came to different conclusions, but they're using the same facts. So it's all a guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, our second category is sound and we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, 
the Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun Maverick. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, I mean, these are all good sounding movies. <laughs> this is a really impressive bunch of films. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I look at the, the, the Guild Awards and what's gone on before. Top Gun Maverick has won the Golden Reel from the Motion Picture uh, Sound Editors Guild. For, and it, that was for the sound effects and Foley category because they have different breakdowns. It also won the Cinema Audio Society's Best Motion Picture Award. But All Quiet in the Western Front has won the BAFTA Award and the, the Cinema Audio Society's Award for Foreign Language Film. Elvis won a Cinema Audio Society Award for Music Editing. Batman and Avatar haven't won anything in their sound categories. So I kind of discount those two. And I don't think Elvis is going to win so, a sound category solely on the music. This, this sound category is a combination of what used to be the sound mixing and the sound editing categories. So you're looking at the volume levels and then the quality of the sound effects and how they're uh, cut together. And it's a, it's a toss-up again between, these two, between All Quiet in the Western Front and Top Gun Maverick. But I got to give it to Top Gun Maverick. That was an inc- incredible experience in the theater. And I, I apologize. I did not see that one in theaters. I did. I, I know. I, I saw know. it a couple times for both of us. <laughs> I saw. I saw it at home. You know. Yep. And I, I just I, the first one was never a thing for me. Ah, uh, okay. I grew up with the first one. Yeah, I was born in '85. My mom watched it, but I just thought it was cheese, and so <laughs> I don't is. know. And I didn't. I didn't hate this at all by any means. I I can absolutely understand why it's nominated for everything it's nominated for. Uh, mm. It's it's sort of cool to see a, a another sort of big popular movie getting a lot of these nods. So I think. Yep. It's one I was listening to our uh, episode from last year and we were sort of talking about, you know, some of these movies, the more popular movies, when they get nominated, people, everyday people who might not normally watch the Oscars might tune in just because they've heard of the movies for the first time. And there's quite a bit of that this year. So, no, they've done a good job. Finally, at forcing the 10 nominees for Best Picture has put some popular films into the mix. And I think it, it at least gives some people an anchor for what to look for and what to root for. So they don't feel like completely like I have ne- I've never seen any things. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and as far as I know, all of these will be televised this year. There's no controversy around that. I don't think. I don't think so. No, I think these are all. Yeah, I think we're fine. <laughs> so moving on from sound, we have a one of my favorites is mm. cinematography. So we have, again, All Quiet on the Western Front. We have Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. We have <laughs> Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. Good group. And I, I am personally shocked that Top Gun Maverick was left out of this. Um, I, I Honestly, I think a lot of us out here in L.A. thought Top Gun Maverick, because of the nature of how much they shot for real, was a shoe-in for cinematography, and I think it, it was nominated for the American Society of Cinematographer Awards. Um, so that's kind of a it was that was kind of a shock, but it's not. So we move on from there. I think Bardo, it's its only nomination in any category, and so I think as beautiful as that film is, uh, and I don't think a lot of people had a chance to see it in the theater. It had a very limited release here in Los Angeles, so I don't think Bardo is going to win. I think Empire of Light. It's Roger Deakins, who's our perennial Oscar right. cinematography yeah. nominee, but he has two wins now. And, it, and like Bardo, Empire of Light, this is its only award. Um, so I don't think it's going to do there. It, uh, the next one, All Quiet in the Western Front, did win the BAFTA. Tar won the Indie Spirit Award for cinematography. 
But the the one that's kind of standing out to me in this is Elvis. And Elvis won the American Society of Cinematographers, which is the Cinematographers Guild. And those are going to be the people who are the cinematographers who are in the Academy who will vote and will be telling their fellow Academy members what they think is the best film. But I think what's really interesting about this is uh, the film was shot by Mandy Walker. And Mandy is the third, only the third woman to ever be nominated for either the ASC award or the Oscar for cinematography. The first was uh, Rachel Morrison for Mudbound and last year, the cinematographer of Power of the Dog. So the first nominated woman in a cinematography category was only five years ago in 2018. This, wow. So it's a really rare that this happens. And on Sunday, uh, this previous Sunday before we recorded this, um, Mandy Walker became the first woman to win the American Society of Cinematographers Award. Um, and she kind of broke that glass ceiling. And what's interesting is we're recording this on Tuesday the 7th, and tonight is the end of Oscar voting. So for those, those Oscar voters who waited to hear what the, the final Guild Awards were, because the Editor's Guild, the Writer's Guild, and the Cinematographer's Guild were all this, this weekend, which is why you and I waited to record this, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to get that information. If those voters were like us and wanted to see what that information was, they found out about this fact. And it's interesting because apparently the Oscar voting ballots don't have the name of the person. So they wouldn't necessarily see Elvis had a female cinematographer. They just were voting on the, on the movie. But if they've seen the news after the ASC awards and realize that Mandy Walker has the ability to be this first woman to win this, I think that's because, again, all these films are deserving. They're all gorgeous looking. If they're looking for something to tip a moment, Mm-hmm. having an Oscar moment with the first woman to win the Academy Award for cinematography is going to be pretty dang cool. So I think, I think Elvis will take this one and kind of, that'll be the edge that that'll be the edge it needs to win this category. Well, when I reached out to you about Bardo and you were like, you're in for, uh, I was saying, I'm watching that tonight. <laughs> you weren't joking. I, I, it's a ride. My boss has been sort of asking me at work when I come in, he's like, so what'd you watch last night? Cause he knows I've been on this marathon. Yeah. You've been death race. Yeah, tried to explain that one to him. I'm like, <laughs> it's like a fever dream mixed with like a historic, like history. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, I it's, was ex- uh, explaining it, like the the baby birth scene to him, and he's like, he's like, I, I don't think I'll have my wife watch that with me. But he no. he, he was interested enough. To, I think he might watch it on his own. I, it's a brilliant movie. It's it's much more akin to a David Lynch film than what I was expecting, which was kind yeah. of which was actually a, a pleasant surprise because you don't see movies in that kind of free-floating abstract style that actually do have a grounding in reality and a point. I think I told you, and I, I wish I knew more, um, my own naivety about Mexican history, which is unfortunate. Um, because I, 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 just reading a, a few of the interviews, it's like, oh, there's a lot rooted in here that would give, us, give me more clues to what's going on in this experience that this main character has of living both as, a, as an American citizen, but having come from Mexico City and the kind of the two worlds and the two identities he shares. Um, and I, I, the film did such a brilliant job of visualizing that in not just a, in not a literal sense, but kind of in a more emotional, abstract sense. Yeah, when I when I looked at this list, when the nominees, I had not even heard of this one. Then I watched a mm. trailer on Netflix and I'm like, oh, this seems something right up my alley, something really weird. And we, we have a weird will be said a lot on this episode. We have a <laughs> lot of really uh, fantastically weird movies nominated this year. Yeah. Uh I mean, Elvis, I could say Tom Hanks' performance is really weird. Uh, I mean, the beginning of that movie with Tom Hanks walking through the casino, it's fucking weird. Yeah. 
Yeah, and his. I mean, I, I'm guessing. I, I don't know much about Elvis history. I'm guessing he did a pretty good colonel, but maybe I just don't like the colonel. It's just a, a weird role for him. Uh, yeah. It kept pulling me out of the movie because Austin Butler is so goddamn good as Elvis. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I, I settled into it. It definitely was an adjustment. And I think so much of that front of that movie is through Hanks's point of view that I, it it got me there. Um, but it was it definitely you had to kind of brace yourself. Thankfully, I'd seen the trailer enough that I was kind of like, OK, Tom Hanks is going to sound like this. <laughs> yeah. And we knew it was going to be beautiful. Like, you know, yeah, it's Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be flashy and awesome. And uh, I honestly wouldn't wouldn't have been surprised if All Quiet on the Western Front. That was a gorgeous movie. And I, I'm telling mm. people it's a, very likely I could take it when. I explain, you know, obviously there's one from the thirties, right? Or forties. Uh, there are, there are two. There is a, there's one from the thirties that actually won best picture. Okay. Um, which is, is the, is an interesting trivia fact. Um, very rarely does a remake get nominated. What previous remake that won best picture get nominated again. And I, I mean, you know, the other thing to remember for all these is all or everything everywhere all at once has 11 Oscar nominations. It's the most of this year. But All Quiet on the Western Front and Bansies of Insurin are right behind it with nine each. So the Academy loves All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, so it's not, it's, and for both picture and the previous sound category, there are very good chances it could take both of those categories because they are, it is a, I have a, a good home Dolby Atmos system and man, I, think my neighbors thought world war one had broken out in our on our uh, in our apartment building because that the that isn't that's the most realistic war sounding movie i've had since private ryan it just you know bullshits or uh, bullshit <laughs> bullet hits and uh explosions flying over my head and stuff it was it's an awesome sound i'm i am another one i'm bummed i didn't get the chance to see in a good theater yeah, I am not a war movie person at all. So mm-hmm. I was sort of like reluctant. I'm like, it's long. It's foreign language. You know, it's it's. Yeah. Uh, and then it's I turned, ask. It, well, then I put it on. And of course, it's heavy, but it's like it's so engaging that it mm-hmm. had me. And then I had a hard time when people like, should I watch it? And I'm like, well, you should watch it. But I can't say I enjoyed it. It's not a movie that you feel good after watching. It's it's yeah. dark and it's brutal and violent and but it's also beautiful you know and you know i think these films are i think and especially in the in a year i think this is probably why it's doing so well where you know there is a, the horrors of war are being experienced in ukraine and hollywood loves a message and this will come into play in the documentary feature as well um i think driving home the point about the horrors of war and an anti-war film that shows the horrors of war that's why it's resonated to the point of nine nominations. And also it's important to point out um, that All Quiet on the Western Front not only won the best foreign language film at the BAFTAs, it won best picture at the BAFTAs. It won both. And that's really rare because usually for both the Oscars and the BAFTAs, okay, it won foreign language film so we can give best picture to something else. Right. So that, you know, it's awarded over here. We can award something else over here. BAFTAs were like, no, it's the best picture overall too. And that is, that's a rare, rare feat. So do not underestimate the power in any of these categories of All Quiet in the Western Front. And look at these early awards as your predictor. If you're watching the awards and you start to see All Quiet in the Western Front pick up a couple of these early awards, that means momentum is swinging its way. Yeah, it can get on a roll and start taking them. It could. 
the next one is a category I just watched last <laughs> night, all in one go. It is oh, that's a lot. <laughs> documentary short films. We have the Elephant Whispers. We have Hall Out. How do you measure a year? The Martha Mitchell Effect and Stranger at the Gate. Uh, I think these out of the three short blocks that I watched because you mm. know we're, we're playing them at the theater this weekend and I nice. want to sort of get a preview of them they, the way they package them is in one block so you sit like you're at a festival and, and watch them back to back and this surprisingly is the longest so I sort of held out the longest on it and mm-hmm. I think I like this category out of all the short the short films the most uh, it just is up and down of course almost all of them are super sad and dark mm-hmm. some some uplifting stuff to them but i really have no idea as far as winners go on this one i i did a little research on this and got some context and i think i can kind of i, I can give you a, a little bit of a hint i mean it, it was funny too i saw it out here in la uh at the lemley royale in santa monica and i so i saw the same program you did in the theater um the funniest reaction in that whole set was uh Hollet, i think is pronounced it's it's a film about it's a short film documentary about uh a man who's categorizing a strange event that's happening to all these seals essentially it's kind of max as exodus of seals and how they die and there's not a lot of context or vo- there's no voiceover it's just no happening. music yeah yeah it's just very kind of ends and at the end of the film some title cards come up and kind of put it all in context for you and there was an older couple sitting about three seats away from me and the old older man went to his wife at the end of it and says oh that didn't make any sense until those cards at the end <laughs> and so i think i think that kind of unfortunately was like okay well that's how people are going to watch that one um so i don't think that has a very great chance i think um the other two there are two films here from Netflix, which are The Elephant Whisperer and The Martha Effect. I think of those two, The Martha Effect probably has a better shot just because it's kind of, it's about this um, Martha who was, I forgot her last name, but she's the wife of the secretary of, um, or the secretary of justice for Nixon during the Watergate scandal mm-hmm. and how she kind of upended Nixon. And it's, I mean, she's a fascinating character. <laughs> she yeah. would be a reality TV show star now. Um, and I think that the historic context of that, of speaking out against your leaders and kind of a woman silenced, that could resonate. I could see it winning. The Elephant Whisperer is beautiful and Academy does love, el- you know, um, there's like the, my, the octopus teacher from a few years ago that won and the Elephant Whisperer kind of fits into that mold. Um, and then there's... Uh, probably which was the hardest to see film it's actually why i ended up seeing the theater because it wasn't available online it just got uh, it's called how do you measure a year it just got picked up by hbo so it will be up on hbo max probably pretty soon and it's a adorable yeah i <laughs> love this one this is really cute it's about this father who's uh chronicling his every year on her birthday he sits down with his daughter from like two to 18 and you get to see her evolve and her opinions evolve and their relationship evolve um uh, it's it, it's funny because it's it has in terms of historical context the most scope because it takes place over a long period of time but it also has the least amount of scope from a physical production standpoint because it's just a shot of this girl on the same couch yep. every 16 years um i do wonder if that's going to come into play uh with it not maybe winning just because it is such a a small film mm-hmm. um but it, it it's it is lovely and fits into that uh like the one up the three the seven up series 
um, that was done years ago as a documentary feature where every seven years they check in with these kids and it does kind of fit that mold and the academy does love those but i think the one based on what i've researched that's going to win is stranger at the gate and that's about a man who came back from afghanistan and um had a large prejudice against uh, muslims and was planning an attack a potential attack against uh, a mosque here and uh it has probably the highest profile of everything. It's from New Yorker Studios, which frequently does a lot of the Oscar winners. Um, and it's available on their YouTube channel, so it's widely seen. But it's also executive produced by, and I'm going to butcher this woman's name, and it's, I feel really bad about it, but Melani Yosef. And she's a Pakistani educator who won the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize. So she's going to be at the Oscars, I think. And the idea of kind of this idea of bridging points of view between a milita U.S. military and the Muslim community, having this Nobel Peace Prize winner at the Oscars, I think that seems like the highest profile and the most chance to get a message of kind of peace and understanding out. So I feel like the Oscars are going to take advantage of that opportunity, and that's probably going to be the winner. Yeah, that was one that started really dark and got very mm -hmm. um, positive and uplifting at the end, and I just could not believe what I was watching in uh, yeah. I, I was not expecting it to go where it went. Uh, Absolutely not. I, I did not watch it, like anything about any of these. Uh, the only things Same. I really saw were very minimal uh, out of context clips they put on the trailers that we've been using to promote. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, you know, what's where's this going? OK, OK, so I won't spoil them because because like you said, you can find it on YouTube. You should definitely check these out. Yeah. Uh, I. I really liked all of these. Uh, I would not want to have to pick a winner. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a wonderful group. And I actually think, as much as I enjoyed watching them in a theater and having the audience reaction, the nice thing about them all being available at home is that these are all like 30, 40 minute movies. So you can kind of pick one in the evening and, and space out and let it breathe. It is a lot to watch two and a half hours of all five of these at once. <laughs> yes. It's a marathon. Yeah, it is. And and uh, like I said, it, it's... I. It's funny because I fell for my own sort of thing where I know running a festival, people think that, oh, man, documentaries are stuffy and boring. And then they sit down and they catch one in a block and it ends up being their favorite. And then I'm sitting mm -hmm. here with all access to all three of these categories. And <laughs> I save that one for the last thinking, uh, you know, it's going to be sort of a drag because it's the longest, whatever. And then I came out on the other end, you know, thinking it was my favorite category. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's always the one that takes the most mental fortitude for me to sit down and watch and then I get out. And I'm really glad I've done it. Yeah. It, and like you said, uh, I, if, if there's a way for you to sort of sit and watch them on your own time, this might be out of the three, the only one I would highly recommend doing it that way because it's a huge emotional roller coaster. If you watch mm. them back to back to back, it can be, um, a little heavy on your mind. Yeah, props to whoever arranged the order from Shorts HD and putting how do you measure a year first in that block yeah. because it was a nice, easy, relaxing intro to kind of open yourself up <laughs> yep, yeah. before you, you went on there. You can't have that follow, you know, Stranger at the Gate or, yeah. No, it would yeah. have to go first or last. It really was kind of that kind of thing. I think the yeah. block ended with Martha Effect and that was yep. that was a good ending too. Yeah, and I, I was ignorant to that entire thing and... Talk, again talking to my boss he's like oh yeah you know i should check that i know all about that and it's funny because he was you know around when that was happening and he's like oh that crazy woman i'm like well maybe you should watch this yeah because it paints her in a different light and sort of shows that they gaslit her but uh 
Yeah, our, our next one is completely uh, left turn. We're on visual effects. <laughs> so we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of the Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. Almost uh, the same as sound. Yeah, very similar. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, this is at probably the easiest category to call. Um, I, th- I think Top Gun Maverick kind of probably shot itself in its foot because it had a lot of visual effects but they made such a big deal about shooting things for real yeah being practical the, the practical that i think people kind of will dismiss it i could see again if all quiet in the western front gets on a roll i could see that happening but that would only be because the academy got snobby about avatar but avatar has won the bafta the critics choice award and nine visual effects society awards because they break it into categories it won all its categories all the feature film categories how could you not i mean yeah this this was not my movie but i can recognize where exactly yeah there's there's no denying the visual effects on this movie yeah i I, wherever you come down on the avatar james cameron i mean it's avatar i mean every shot is a visual i think they said there was three shots in the film that aren't visual effects i mean the (laughs) whole thing so uh, yeah i uh it's avatar um I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> that's, that's just all there is to it. If you've seen even a trailer, you understand why it's going to win Best Visual Effects. And you saw this with James Cameron in the theater, right? I did. I've seen it three times. I saw it uh, the first time a buddy of mine who's in the Producers Guild got me into a screening two days before it came out on the Disney lot. And uh, it, uh, John Landau was there in person and Cameron had contracted COVID at the London premiere. So he, uh, he Skyped in. <laughs> which was kind of amazing because they were projecting him full screen on the movie screen behind John Landau. And so you have a gigantic James Cameron <laughs> who's passionate about this movie, gesturing and reaching towards his camera. And you've kind of like, oh my God, it's kind of was an accurate representation of the size of James Cameron's ego and ambition. <laughs> and I mean that completely complimentary, like we, we were talking about just there is again love him or hate him there is nobody with the the balls of james cameron to do the movies he does and the scales that he does and the time it takes for him to do it and just say hey if i don't make two billion dollars it's not successful and he makes two billion dollars like you just can't and and you know yes it's a simple script and yes it's it draws on cliches but in a lot of ways i think avatar um because of those things it makes room for those visuals because it's not you're not weighted down with those other aspects and that's probably what makes it accessible to a foreign audience and why that box office it's done well in the states over 600 million but that's only 30 percent of the box office 70 percent of the box office is overseas and he's making a movie not just for america he's making a movie for the entire world and that's how that's the intelligence and what he brings to that ambition of filmmaking is he makes a movie for everybody I waited like way too long to see this one. Mm. Like the last, literally, I think the last day it was at our theater to the point where they put it in like the smallest in our multiplex, the the, the like worst dilapidated sort of <laughs> oh, theater. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, do no favors. <laughs> no, it's one of the, th- like the, they, it has like a weird, it's notorious at our theater. So if, if a movie's in that one, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I saw Nope in that theater too. They, they mm. sort of remediately shoved it in that theater. That's and it's weird. Yeah. It has um, like a mesh screen so they can fit speakers behind it. Right. And it has like a weird reflection straight down the middle and you can sort of see through yeah. the screen in the spot. It's because the speaker's reflecting behind it. Right. And it drives me nuts. And, and like nobody else seems to care or notice, but I just, 
am like, I'm going to stare at that the entire movie. And uh, especially when it goes like to white flashes and it's all you can see. Yeah. And it's a bummer to see Avatar that way because I I didn't love the first one, but I respect the hell out of James Cameron. I mean, how can you not that resume? And I love that he does not give a shit and will do whatever he wants. And he will go out and boast about it and say, you know, like you said, he, he just has the the head of a giant and uh there's no apologies on his end and and i've always respected that i mean what what guy makes uh in between making two of the highest grossing films of all time designs his own submarine and becomes the guy who's dived the deepest in human history yeah (laughs) like he's just he's a unique individual unto himself i mean i i hesitate to use the word genius but i don't think there's much else you can say about that he is just a technical genius yeah and he knows what he's doing. So, and I think that's actually off-putting for a lot of people. That that intelligence and that arrogance is does rub people the wrong way. But it's there. <laughs> yep, love it or hate it, you cannot say that you don't. I mean, everybody has to like at least like three of his films, right? I mean, I mean, I challenge anyone not to love Aliens, which is my favorite James Cameron movie. Aliens is just the fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Terminator 2, come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, it's Terminator 1, actually. I like T- T1 more than T2. I do, too. I mean, it's... Not to get on James Cameron. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that <laughs> would be a different... We're episode of James Cameron suddenly. <laughs> that, that could be a whole different, uh, you know, podcast. But, uh, yeah, the, the guy just has the resume of, you know, that it's yeah. hard to beat. And, yeah, uh, he's he's at the stage where he does not care what people have to say. Uh, you know, I, I was a doubter. I when they announced that they're making these sequels and it took so long, I'm like, well, people do not care about avatar anymore. I even went, you yeah. know, I've been to Disney world and, and Orlando and Same. got to yeah. go on the rides. And I'm like, okay, this is really cool. I, I was it's even fun. sort of bashing them when I went, I was like, this stuff is outdated already. And, and you know, and then I'm on the ride and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. And then yeah, the movie so came get out. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, as much as I want to deny it, I'm like, okay, he's got something here and he can yeah, make I, another six films and he'll keep making money. Yep. Yeah, I did this. I mean, I, same thing a couple, about a month ago, I went and saw Titanic was playing at the Chinese theater and I was like, ah, oh, I haven't seen that on a big screen since it came out. And I went and saw it and you know, there's the memory, the parody, whatever you think of, ti- of Titanic, what it's become. But when you sit in an IMAX theater, that size of the Chinese theater and you're watching that movie, it's like, this is a damn good movie. Holy shit. I kind of forgot and like really got caught up in it again. And it was like, okay. Because yeah. I think it's easy to kind of minimize it the more you have distance from it. But when you sit in a theater and actually allow yourself the freedom to experience it, one of his movies, it's like, no, dude knows what he's doing. Can't deny it. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, should, I don't think it came here, but it, that's one I do need to revisit because uh, it came out at like the worst time for me. <laughs> it was when I was maybe like late elementary early middle school where, yeah, you must have been 13 12 or 13 yeah and you know me and my friends went because one it had boobs and it was pg-13 so we didn't have to have our parents hey. yeah get the tickets that solid, was awesome. solid reason that's half of the things i watched in hbo in the 80s but yeah but then it's like <laughs> i remember my friend joel shout out to joel who ended up going to full sail university and working on a lot of big movies joel came with us and he was that kid that i hate now in theaters would give commentary to every scene in the movie when the water comes and hits the chairs he goes oh there goes the chairs and you know and he was just being an idiot and i just looking back on it i'm like oh my god horrible because i would have now i've if a kid did that i would just want him immediately removed from the theater you know but totally uh, yeah but I, I need to rewatch it from i don't think i've seen it as an adult i don't 
Oh, we had the the double VHS tape at home. Uh, <laughs> That's going back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't think I've seen it since. And and yeah, it's it's probably due for a revisit sometime soon. Yeah, if you can get it and watch it with a good home theater with good sound, hundred percent worth it. All right. Well, moving on, we have animated feature film. We have uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. The Sea Beast and Turning Red. I think this will be a year <laughs> that uh, Pixar doesn't win. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think I, I, Turning Red was lovely and I enjoyed it. It was a really was just a Disney Plus movie and I don't think many people saw it that way. Uh, Marcella Shell is adorable and has a great backstory when you li- listen to how the filmmaker came up with it, the character and everything. Puss in Boots is obviously a good blockbuster. Um, sea Beast was Sea Beast was actually a the one I was the most surprised about. I saw that on Netflix and I was like, "This is a really good movie. I can't believe no people saw this." But there's no question here; it's in the name, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, it's won the BAFTA, the Golden Globe, the Critics' Choice, the PGA, the Art Directors Guild Award for an animated film, the Visual Effects Society's Award for animated film, and the Cinema Audio Society's Award for an animated film. None of the other nominees have won anything. And something we haven't talked about is there is this pattern of award season where, and I think this will also plays into um, why Jamie Lee Curtis has become a, a front runner for supporting actresses. They do these award shows and you see them speak and you start to cheer for them. And Jamie Lee Curtis has been really good in the award circuit. She's doing awesome, that. I think, yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the reasons she started getting momentum inside of the uh, Actors Guild. And Guillermo del Toro, we all know because he's won Academy Awards before. And I remember back when I used to do press junkets and I interviewed Guillermo for, um, cause I'm on a first name basis. Yeah. Um, but I interviewed him for the devil's backbone and I, I actually it was funny. I was doing the blade two junket and they weren't going to have Guillermo doing interviews cause he wasn't a big enough director at the time. And I went to the publicist and said, Hey, I've interviewed Guillermo before. I would love to talk to him. And about five other interviewers who were sit- waiting to talk to Guillermo or waiting for their interviews jumped up and said, we want him too. <laughs> and they're like, well, Wesley Snipes, being Wesley Snipes has taken off already. We can turn his room around and put Guillermo in it. And we're like, yes, please. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I, you know, I, I, I interviewed him for that film and he's just a lovely human being to talk to and so passionate about his art that, you know, having him come up and give a, a speech about his animated film is it's just going to be lovely. So <laughs> um, yep, yep. this is a shoe in. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, when I saw this one, there's two of these that made me cry and the rest mm. of them sort of made me, uh wish i no i i was not a big fan of uh puss in boots or uh, the sea beast was was better i think puss in boots i'm just over the entire shrek franchise i'm okay without it oh see i haven't watched a shrek film since two because i i didn't like it so this is the first time i've seen a shrek film in a long time so i was like oh it wasn't that bad yeah (laughs) but i absolutely loved marcel the shell but i also know that it doesn't have i mean it, it was sort of controversial and they fought back and forth on whether it could even be considered because it's not fully animated. And I know the Chiodo brothers who worked on killer clowns and team America, uh, they're Mm. the ones that did Marcel in this movie. And I know, uh, I I met them in person and they're lovely people and they're very proud of this movie. Uh, and I think it's adorable, but it's not the juggernaut. I mean, Pinocchio was so cool. Uh, I, I was, not expecting to cry on that one and it opens with like the saddest stuff and <laughs> oh man but it's so good it's such a i don't know it's 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 like how do you take 
del toro into sort of making a family animated film but also have some serious messages in it and he just he just got it and he made a sort of you know subject in pinocchio's story that we've all heard a million times and made it his own it's just yeah i was kind of against this film because there's been so many damn pinocchio movies there was the zemeckis one for disney plus that i didn't watch um there was the there was one a couple of years ago that from Italy that was nominated for best makeup. And I remember just, it was a chore to sit through. It was so dark and so depressing. So when I was like, I love Guillermo del Toro, but does he have to make Pinocchio of all the things to do another movie of? Yeah. <laughs> but he, I think he found a way to justify his Pinocchio uh, and kind of placing it in that war setting, that war torn Europe setting worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have to talk about the, uh, other Pinocchio on tomorrow night's episode. I'm recording the uh, the Razzies right after this, so <laughs> I have not. I am not doing the Razzies death race. I let my uh, guest okay. watch all of those movies, but uh, more power to them. Yes, exactly. I'm like, if you want to come on and do that, you have to watch them. I'm not. I'm not taking the time. Who, who'd you count into that? <laughs> uh, my friend Tony approached me last year after hearing our episode and said, "Oh, really? Can, yeah, can we do a Razzies?" And I'm like. Good if for you, Tony. Yeah, Tony, if you want to do the homework, and he sat through all of them like you do the Oscars. Granted, there is not nearly as many. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, I love the dedication, and he asked to come back again. So uh, something to look forward to. So our nice. next our next category is animated short film. We mm. have The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. We have The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. I love animated shorts. They're, I mean, at, our, yeah. at Snake Alley, it's my probably my favorite of the uh, submission categories. It's always, they're just always all over the place. It's almost like Best Picture, where it's like, how do you judge these against each other? Because they're all wildly different. But I think there's some strong runners in here. There's some great films in here. I mean, I, the range, like you have My Year of Dicks about a 16-year-old uh, young w- woman's quest to lose her virginity. And then you have The Flying Sailor, which is based on a true story of a sailor who was blown up on a World War One sailing vessel. I mean, that's the range of stories represented here. <laughs> um, you're crossing a lot of of, of uh, genres and feelings and emotions in, in the most creative ways possible. But I, 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 I narrowing it down, I think My Year of Dicks I, as much as I enjoyed it, it was fun. You could tell it was started as a series of shorts for FX, and it feels like just a bunch of TV episodes yeah. or short, uh, short webisodes kind of strung together. So I think the Academy is going to feel that, and that's not going to get uh, an, uh, an award. Ice Merchants, I think, was lovely. It won an Annie Award, which is the animation award. Um, it is a beautiful film and really well done. Fly- same for Flying Sailor, but I think the two that are competing in this category for me. Um, And again, completely different kinds of movies. And unfortunately, the ones with the longest titles, the boy, the mole, (laughs) the fox and the horse and an ostrich told me the end, told me the world is fake. And I think I believe it. Um, And it's between these two. um, And it just depends on where the Academy is feeling this. The, the, The boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. It's from Apple. It's uh, produced by J.J. Abrams, executive produced by Woody Harrelson. It's based on a best-selling book. It did win the BAFTA for Animated Short, but the BAFTA for Animated Short is the animated short from Britain. Okay. So it, it, they're not competing against all the other animated films in the world. Um, 
so I, 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 it's a, it's a absolutely gorgeous, sentimental, almost kind of Winnie the Pooh esque uh, story. It feels very much like an old school Disney kind of a Winnie the Pooh cross with Peter and the Wolf is is the best that's thing a, I can that's say. That's a great description. And yeah, and I, I, I really loved it, and I got misty during watching it, and I texted my sister and said, you need to show this to your kids, it's great. Yep. Um, on the other hand, the other one, an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it, is just so irreverent and amazing, because it's about an animated character realizing that he's possibly in an animated so good. environment. It's produced, it's literally, if you go on INDB, there's two other voice actors, and I think a, a producer, but otherwise it is one filmmaker a student filmmaker at his house i think he's australian or from new it's australian or new zealand i'm sorry i blanked on it um and he did this by himself over a series of months so like you have david and goliath with this other one that's produced by jj abrams and woody harrelson and then you have a student alone in his house um and i think i i would not be surprised if the uh the boy the mole the fox and the horse wins but I kind of really would like an ostrich to win um, just because there's so much heart and creativity and inventiveness behind it. Yeah, I, that's definitely my pick. If I was voting, I thought that was so mm-hmm. inventive. I, I when they were sort of showing like how it's made slightly off screen and I'm like, what are they doing here? And then yeah. he realizes, you know, that he's being and I'm like, oh, this is so meta, but so unique and cool and. Yep. I, I, I just, you know, I'm a sucker. I'll watch all of the uh, Leica Studio, like, special features. I love all that stop motion stuff. So mm-hmm. this is really cool uh, to sort of put that in a meta world. And, of course, yeah. the innocence, but also just, like, the sort of melancholy, quiet sadness of the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Uh, I love that, too. I mean, Flying Sailor was really cool visually, but it doesn't have Amazing. much for a story. You know, it just doesn't have that heft yeah. that the others do. So it just has that niche of, oh, my God, that was true. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I have to agree with you on those. Yeah. I, I think the one thing to remember, but usually about the animated films, they always say that the Academy doesn't watch all the animated films. They let their kids watch. Oh, and their kids tend to vote on the films. And there's not... Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a questionable one that they might like their kids watch this year. It's actually one of the rare times I think you're seeing an animated film go to an auteur and not Pixar Disney. Mm-hmm. So they may... But the, the fact that like I got out of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse and texted my sister and said, you need to show this to your, your four-year-old and your six-year-old, I think that might be the factor that sways it into the, uh, the voters because the families can sit down and watch this movie. You didn't text your sister and be like, Hey, show the kids my ear of dicks. Uh, you know, maybe in a, uh, <laughs> give them the, another, uh, 10 my years. sister's youngest is only is about to turn three in about three weeks. So I think we might be about, uh, 12 years before she should see that. <laughs> but, you know, I'll keep it in mind later on when, uh, you know, when she, when she hits high school age, uh, I'll definitely, I might circle back to that. It's funny because my my sister always helps judge the films at, at Snake Alley, and she's like, "Well, then thank your sister. She's give, gotten me in like four times." She's <laughs> she, she's like, uh, you know, like dog ear or or just make notes of which ones Avery, my who's ten, <laughs> ten year old niece now, but she's been watching them since you know I started, and I'm like, now she's getting a little bit older, she can start watching some more. You know, it's like 10. My sister was like, can she watch Megan? I'm like, oh, she's 10. I was watching that kind of stuff at 10. It's PG-13. Yeah, it's PG-13. She's only three years off. So, if you know, if let her watch it with the lights on. Make sure, you know, she yeah. you're, you're in the room with her and stuff. But uh, Hide all the dolls. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's like 
it's sort of cool to like watch her grow and it's like now i can start showing her some more fun stuff but yeah that's that was the funnest stuff when my older sister's kids started to get to the point i'm like oh we can talk about movies now and not yeah. just go to the cartoons i don't have to take <laughs> you to madagascar anymore for god's sakes <laughs> well now we take another big left turn we have actor <laughs> in a supporting role this is a great cast too uh we have yeah. uh brandon gleason from the banshees of Anishiran. we have brian tyree henry from causeway Judd Hirsch from the Fablemans, Barry Kogan from the Banshees of Ayn Sharon, and Key Kwan from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Woo-hoo! I think we know who has this one in the bag. Yeah, I think I may have given that away. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just to give everybody their due, uh, uh, Brendan Gleeson, I, I think Brendy, Brendan Gleeson and, and uh, Barry will cancel each other out because they're from the same movie. However, Barry did win the BAFTA Award, so there is that. But again, that's that British factor for a British film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Terry Henry is amazing, but nobody else had heard of that film until it got the nomination and had been sitting on a shelf for a year and a half. Um, So I think its victory is him getting his first nomination. Um, Judd Hirsch is fantastic in The Fablemans, but that's almost a cameo. (laughs) Right. I was surprised that he's in it enough to be considered supporting role. It's it's a great part. I think it's also interesting. The last time Judd Hirsch was nominated, I think, was Ordinary People in 1980. Wow. So I think it's maybe one of the longest stretches between nominations for an actor. Um, so, you know, more power to him. I'm glad he's being recognized, but uh, I don't think so. I mean, and again, like I was saying, there is this kind of audition process that happens over the course of uh, award season where people are giving speeches and doing these award shows. And I always kind of cite Sylvester Stallone for uh, at the, his Golden Globe speech when he won for Best Supporting Actor for Creed. And he kind of went on for a rambling speech and thank everybody who made Rocky. And didn't get around to apparently thanking the people who made Creed until the commercial break, so it didn't air. <laughs> and I think that cost him the Oscar. Yeah. But in this case, Kihu Kwan has been giving the best award show speeches in the history of mankind. Yes. And he's done it at the SAG Awards, the Golden Globes, the Critic Choice, and the Indie Spirit Awards. The only indicator award that he lost was that BAFTA. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, it would be. This would be the shock of the night, more so than Avatar losing visual effects is key losing this category. Um, and uh, I mean, I, and I, 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 you know this, and uh, I won't go too far into it, but uh, I went to film school with Key, so I have, a, I have a, a slight favoritism in this. He and I went to USC together, he's a friend. And so just watching him on this journey has been utterly incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about comeback. Uh to not work for so long, come back, get this movie. And, uh, you know, I, I won't ramble too much because if you are listening, you can actually go back just about a year, um, where Hmm. Nikki and I went and saw everything everywhere all at once opening night. Um, nice with son Lux there to do a Q and a, and it just, we left and I was like, as soon as we, we had to drive about an hour and a half out of town, Iowa city. And it was like, when we get back, I'm setting up the microphones and we're talking about this. So don't talk on the drive home. <laughs> Save it. I, I, yeah, I have so much to say about this because uh, the lights came up and we just sort of like looked over at right. each other and we're like, oh, man, like this movie yeah. just blew my mind. Um, and, and oh, gosh, and, and him in this movie. Uh, so goddamn good. Uh, yeah, man, just every the, I just. To, to go from, and of course we saw uh, Swiss Army Man in the same theater years hmm. ago, drove up and saw it and absolutely loved it. 
uh, you know, thought Daniels were geniuses, really cool uh, indie heroes, and and then for them to make this. And I literally said to Nikki it, back in April when we saw this, I was like, you know, I can I can see this like taking home awards. And she's like, I don't know, like it has hot dog fingers, and you know, it's <laughs> it's a fanny pack fight and a butt plug award, and it's really strange. And I'm like, but man, like. I'm crying. Yeah. And I'm crying over this, like a rock, yeah. you know, a scene with two yeah. rocks and I'm crying over it. Like, holy shit. And, you know, key is such a big part of that. Factor. And then to see him be doing these, these award speeches and how incredibly grateful he is to be where he is, his story of redemption, yeah. it, it cannot be beat. So no, it's amazing. My biggest regret of the past year is I was, uh, it was right after we recorded our Oscar episode and I was cutting, um, some of the live events coverage for the red carpet. And uh, it, was a, it was Saturday before the Oscars. They were doing one of the first screenings of everything everywhere all at once. Key was doing the Q&A. And I, my shift went over and I didn't make the screening. Mm. And I was supposed to be there. And it was all of the US, our USC gang who went to USC with Key. And Corey Feldman was there from uh, Goonies. Yeah. And there's this photo that is online uh, of and, and our friends' social feeds from our friends who were there. And I'm like, I should be damn in that photo. And I should have seen it. I saw it like three weeks later in an AMC. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so bummed that I haven't had a chance to. I've been texting with Key, but I haven't had a chance to see him in person uh, because I missed that night. And I was like, I should have been there at the beginning of this. And I'll, I'll, I hopefully I'll, he and I can get a chance to get dinner after this is over. But um, it's it's been such a joy to watch this ride because I kind of. I know I know a little bit more of the story, um, his personal story, and it's just it's it's so well earned and he's been so patient for this. And I'm so glad it happened. Yeah. And it's just he's such a good dude. Yeah. You can genuinely tell he is enjoying every second of this and not taking any yeah. of it for granted and, and just a sweetheart and everything. And, and so not like he's proud. He knows that mm -hmm. he's done a good job. Like he's he knows that what what kind of film they've made and, and what of key role no pun intended he has in this uh and, and i absolutely just love the sort of not only in the film but after uh this family dynamic of this movie you know there's no other uh cast that has sort of just taken taken the award ceremony and, and just they all go together and it's like they're mm -hmm. all the biggest cheerleaders of each other it's just it, it's it's wonderful i love it yeah that's the energy around it is so amazing and great so yeah i think i think uh, I, yeah, uh, I, my, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is watch is seeing this and I haven't been saying anything about it to my friends because I don't want to jinx it. But it's like I it, as just as a predictor, I think he's got this. And I'll have to tell you my my Corey Feldman story off mic. But um, <laughs> I've sort of been saying over the last few years before this happened with Key and Brendan Fraser, like I think that if. Corey was given the right role in a big movie and really given focus, he could have a big comeback, but I don't know. Uh, it would have to be the right role. But I've also, I, I, when yeah. I said that out loud, um, I've had a lot of people come back and say he's not a good person. They know him. They've had experiences with him where they don't think he's deserving. So um, mm. I, all I know is I, I think he's dug a bit of a hole for himself uh, just from his, his band and his, uh, appearances on, you know, I think it was Good Morning America with the band, and I think, yeah, I, I think the rep of some of the Corey and Corey stories and the reality show, um, and I, the I conspiracies, think he's, yeah, yeah, I think unfortunately he's just dug a bit of a hole for himself. Um, I'm not to say he can't get out of it, and I actually, as a as an '80s guy, I would love to see that happen because I think 
I ch I challenge you uh, to not re recognize his performance in Stand by Me as absolutely incredible. He's yep. amazing in that movie. So I think the talent and the ability is there. Um, hopefully, the opportunity will present itself, and he will be able to like he step up and grasp it and embrace it in a way that we can all get behind. It would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, next one we have is international feature film. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina 1985, which I just finished about an hour ago. Good film. Uh, Close, EO, and The Quiet Girl. Another category where I feel like it's really like yeah. apples to oranges. None of these movies are at all alike. Uh, the only thing they share is that they're not American films. Totally. I mean, there's a film. EO is about a donkey. And what a ride that movie is, man. I was, that was a blast. I'm so glad I got to see that in a movie theater. So cool. um, it was uh, it was absolutely amazing. The point of view, it, the whole thing takes place from the point of view of a donkey and this poor donkey's journey and how kind of the well-meaning animal rights activists actually put it on a really bad course of action. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the best and worst of humans uh, yeah. through, the, through the eyes of a donkey. <laughs> It's 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 so beautiful and heartbreaking, and I I loved every minute of that movie. I, I it's not certainly a film for everybody. A lot of people are gonna come out going, it was so weird, but it's like it's the best kind of weird. Yep. Um, uh, close is just a beautiful film about uh, kind of a boy learning about having grown up emotions. I guess is the best way to put it, and his relationship to a male friend, uh, and the ins and outs of kind of growing up, and that was lovely and beautiful and uh heartbreaking as well um the irish girl which i actually got to see on valentine's day and the director flew in from ireland for the q a um and that was i really like that film quite a bit and has a really daring ending um and is an interesting we haven't talked about it but there is a wave of irish films between this the banshees of insurance and the irish goodbye in live action short and you're seeing a really good renaissance of Irish films, uh, which I think is tied to their independence. And this one is unique, too, because it's, it's there is a which I did not know until I heard the director talk was that there is a there is a movement in Ireland and funding in the from Ireland to make more Irish language films and kind of resurrect this language that was dying. Um, so it's it, it's a really fascinating uh, piece of cinema and a really intimate, lovely small story that i think everybody can relate to this you know whether you speak the language or not which very few people do they had a really hard time apparently finding actors who spoke the language um argentina 1985 uh is a wonderful political thriller it's probably got the second best chance to win in this category it won the golden globe for best foreign language film it's the most uh, uh it's, a, it's a it's about kind of uh conspiracy conspiracy against the argentine um Actually, you, you just saw it. You probably explained it better than I did. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I, I actually like just got home from work, put it on. But this persecutor is going after like a government agency, basically. Correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. it's it's like a very big uphill battle. So you're sort of following it through his perspective. And these people are threatening not just him, but then his family. And yeah. it's it's sort of the journey of him. And it's it's based on a true story, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically him putting like what's right before you know and putting himself at risk at all times uh in the ultimate risk in sacrificing you know his privacy and his family life to do what's yeah. right and and show that 
and, and go up, up against people who have way more power than him. Totally. Uh, when everyone's telling him it's a horrible idea, don't do it. It's not worth it. And nobody else really has his back. And then he becomes, yeah, a big hero. Yeah, it's it's really well done. It's on Amazon Prime, so it's it's pretty much out there for anybody to see. I recommend it. But the the film that's going to take this category, there is no question, is All Quiet on the Western Front when it's the only film out of these five nominated for Best Picture overall, and it yep. has nine nominations. It's won the BAFTA for Foreign Language Film, and like I said, it won the best it won the best BAFTA for Best Foreign Language Film, but it also won Best Picture, so it won both categories at the BAFTAs. And this is all quiet on the Western Front. There's no question. We're kind of on a string of these categories where there is no question. And this is an easy one. Um, there's no doubt. Yeah. So put your money on that one. I think that's a safe bet. Um, we've yeah. seen that before where something, if it gets uh, international and best picture, it's going to at least win international. And it's, it's kind of the trend. I think yeah. if there's three awards you can kind of take home, key for best supporting, all quiet for international and avatar for VFX and probably Pinocchio for animated feature. Those four. Those, those are the easy ones this year. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> and we have another great category that I yes. really love, too, is live action short film. We have An Irish Goodbye, which I loved. Uh, Evalu, right. another super sad one. Les Pupilles. I, I'm probably betraying that. I think it's Les Pupilles. Yeah, I think it's right. And then Night, Night Ride and The Red Suitcase. Um, th this is a heavy, another heavy uh, group yeah. of films. But, oh, man, I loved all of these. I loved all these. I think the, 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 it was funny. I got out of these and I texted my producer because we had qualified Flat Earther for the live action short Academy Award this year. And there were 15 finalists. And I looked at all 15 finalists and all five of these nominees and there were no American films. And he was like, well, that kind of makes me be feel better. We were, none of the Americans got made it. <laughs> <laughs> but so these are all uh, foreign language films, except for Irish Goodbye, which is Irish, but it is in English. Um, uh, I you know, Irish Goodbye won the BAFTA, but again, that's for British short film. That's not necessarily all these other short films. So yeah, I kind of have to discount that one. Um, as much as I like A Night Ride and uh, Red Suitcase, they haven't gotten, kind of gotten any of the, they don't have anybody behind it that would make it more recognizable and they haven't won any of the indicators. Uh, you pronounce it right. Uh, Ivalua um, is uh, a beautiful film and the Direct, the co-director of that, Andres, uh, Andreas uh, Walter, won, the, won this Oscar, won this category in 2014 for a film called Helium. So he does have history with the Academy here, but I think the winner is going to be La Pupule. Uh, I, again, that goes back to the thing is most people have seen this because it's on Disney Plus, and Disney Plus was, had it on the front page. So a lot of Academy voters, kids probably saw this movie. And the most interesting thing about this was that from an oscar fact standpoint is this was produced by alfonso Cuaron, and with this nomination he tied a record that kenneth Branagh set last year they're now both the the two only two people in oscar history to have seven nominations in different categories wow he beating walt disney who had six well that's a pretty big name to, to uh you know take out is walt disney yeah, Walt Disney was only nominated in six different categories, but Alfonso Cuaron and Kenneth Branagh, they've been nominated in seven with, the, with their with Branagh last year because he was, I think, nominated in three different categories in one screenplay and Cuaron this year by producing this short film. So I, I think that's going to take it. If, it. if it's not Le Pupil, I think it's going to be The Irish Goodbye. I think out of all of these, uh, Le Pupil was probably my least favorite. <laughs> well. But it, 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 it yeah. doesn't mean that, I can see that, you know, that's going to be the, but 
I just love the weird stories out of all the other ones. Uh, and this one made me laugh and had a lot of uh, great moments. And I was surprised when watching it, you know, to see the Disney logo pop up. Yep. Yeah, I had actually been avoiding it because it was on Disney Plus, And I was like, oh, I'm going to see the short film program in the theater. So I'll watch it in the theater. But it, it it was for a long time. It was on one of like, you know, the Disney Plus front page yep. where they have like suggested titles and they were putting it up there. So I, I'm guessing of all these, it's probably the one the Academy voters have had the most chances to see. Yeah, probably. And I think if you're if like the audience vote, you know, like I'm guessing if I at least in my theater, I'm already predicting like if I had people vote, I'm thinking Irish Goodbye would take it, though. I think so, too. I think if, if I was at a short film festival and I was playing against Irish Goodbye, I'd be like, fuck, we're going to lose. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Irish Goodbye is a damn good movie. It's about a uh, uh, mentally handicapped boy who has to get over with his uh, brother the, the death of their mother. And their grieving process is fantastic. Yes. And it's heartfelt and heartbreaking and, and funny and all the things you would want. And it's just, it's just really engaging and sweet. Yeah. So 11, we have costume design. Another one, sort of a big uh, left turn. We have Babylon, mm. I think, and it's only no, it has a uh, it has production. Two. Yeah, Babylon. Which is two, two, which, you know, it's, it has three actually. It's in music as well, which is my book three too many because I fucking hate that movie. But that's a different story. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay, we have Babylon. <laughs> we have Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once, and Mrs. Harris goes to Paris in its only nomination, which is the funnest title to say though. It is, and I really expected to not enjoy that one. I saved it till second to last, and it was fun. You know, it's not my kind of movie, but it's a nice palate cleanser compared to some of the heavy tones and everything else, man. I wish it had been in theaters when I was trying to uh, take my mom to the movies yeah. during Christmas. That's, ex that's exactly what it is. I will say in this category... Of all these things, the most interesting thing about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is it is the one movie in the costume category where the costume is actually part of the plot. Yeah, it's like the plot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that is an interesting. I don't think it's going to win again. Like you said, it's the only nominee, but only nomination for this. But it's well earned. And I, I hope this gives some people some attention to see it because it, it there are, it's, it's a lovely way to spend about 100 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, compact, bright, cheerful, uplifting movie. It's like I said, it's a good palate cleanser. If man, looking at these other categories, there's just a lot of really heavy, serious stuff. And yeah, this, if you for, if yeah. you force yourself to watch Babylon, watch Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris because you'll need that afterwards. So, so what do you not like about Babylon? That's a whole podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I to sum it up, and I and I do have strong feelings about this because I have researched and I, and I've written screenplays set in the silent film era about some of the topics. Um, so I think without really digging into the the, the minutia of it, um, it, there there are a lot of true stories in Babylon. There's a lot of things going on, but unfortunately, they've decided to make it about them. Uh, they decided to make all their characters amalgams of real people. So rather than digging into the depth of the characters and the people that actually made Hollywood what it was back then, um, they've created these fictional personas. And then they've set them not in the most inventive time of the silent film era, which is the 1914 to 1516 era, where we were, our industry had just moved to Hollywood and we were really inventing the movies. They've set it during the collapse. Um, when... The, the bubble had popped 
um, the censors were moving in, the conservatives were moving in, and sound was moving in, and the industry changed. Um, and because they don't show the burst of creativity and magic that happened 10 years before this, all you're seeing is the fall. So it is three hours of the most grotesque exaggeration um, of that era of Hollywood. And they've taken all the worst stories um, and jammed them together without context. And unless you know the history, it's just vile. Like they, they, there's a shot in the beginning of this just insane party. And it, I mean, it's impressive, the, scope, the scale of what they've shot. But there's like literally they, they kind of pan past a character who's supposed to be, and it's supposed to be the, the Roscoe Arbuckle uh, scandal. And it, they, they don't even give it context or, 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 or uh, any kind of idea of what it is you're looking at. It's just like, a, oh, it's like, oh, crazy shit's happening. And, yeah. and I, 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 just as somebody who's a fan of Hollywood, who's a fan of the history, who's researched that era, to have it paid such grotesque super, and I'm going to keep using the word grotesque because it was just <laughs> fucking vile. Um, I get, literally, the movie starts with an elephant shitting on somebody's head, and it's a POV shot, so you see the elephant sphincter dump the shit on the audience. <laughs> and that seems to have been the point of view of the filmmakers going in, is that we're just going to shit on the audience. And these are people who, in the film who don't care about movies. Like, rather than people having a scene of people going to the theater and talking about how amazing movies are, these are people who sit in rooms full of cocaine talking about how they want to be famous. These aren't people who love movies. These are, these are 1920s people who are equivalent to Instagram people who are just looking for clicks and likes and attention. And there's no kind of care about the artistry to the point like when the guy does finally go to a theater to watch a movie, which is Al Jolson and the, and the jazz singer. And it's this, a moment where you know, sound is introduced and the audience stands up and applause. He comes in late and doesn't see it and doesn't understand what's happening. And then later on, he goes to the movies at the end of his, uh, at the end of the movie and fucking falls asleep. <laughs> like he has no fucking love of what the movies is yet. They have this montage at the end, intercutting their made up fiction of what uh, silent Hollywood was cutting it in with um, the history of Hollywood like it had an influence on that. And yes, the silent film had a huge influence, but I don't get the context because it's a fictional, it's a fictionalized version of fictional characters um, that, that, that they've tried to tie into this. And without really showing the reality of it, it's just, it's, it's vulgar nonsense. And I mean, congratulations. I love Margot Robbie and she does look stunning in that dress. I, Academy Award nomination for the dress, but she is annoying as fuck in this movie. And I'm sorry, I usually love Margot Robbie. Um, but I just, I was repulsed by this movie. Um, I, there, there are only like three movies in the past 10 years that I've actually just hated. And at the, as this one was ending, I was just like, please just, I literally said it out loud, please end this shit. <laughs> um, sorry, I, I, my friend, I, 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 I ranted about this to my friends in one of my uh, online chat rooms about this. And they're like, you never hate movies like this. And I was like, I'm sorry. I hated this. I just despised it. Well, our, <laughs> our listeners get to see a different side of you. And that's, you know, it's good that you're passionate about what you love and also what you don't love, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, very rarely do I actually hate on a movie. but And it's funny. I, 
I love actually I, I when I because I vote for the Independent Spirit Awards and I voted for Moonlight, but I love La La Land and I liked First Man and I really love Whiplash. I think that's a great movie. But uh, this was a whiff for me. Um, and I, I was telling my friends, you know, for Damien Chazelle, I was like, wow, it's so weird for somebody who's had so much success early in his life to feel so bitter towards the movie industry. Like, I don't understand what was like the kind of mediocre reviews for First Man that bad, Damien, that you had to take it out on the entire history of cinema. Um, it, was, like, it was taking that best picture Oscar back from him yeah i guess um maybe that's what it was uh i don't know i, I it was weird for somebody so young and so successful to be so cynical um and i, I kind of had had a warning when the reviews had hit and i saw this at home in minneapolis when i was home for christmas and and it's funny i i i, I had the really horrendous misfortune of taking my mother to this and i was like mom there's oh. nothing else to see and uh and it's, it's a long story but um she and i was like there's nothing else to see right we've seen everything and she's like oh i just want to go to the movies i'm in taking care of your sister's kids and i just want to see something grown up and i was like well this is gonna be grown up mom <laughs> she got out and she was like that was disgusting and i was like i know i'm sorry i warned you that was <laughs> it's like i warned so maybe, you and i still didn't know how what i was in for i still didn't i was and it's it's as long as avatar it yep. just goes on for fucking ever. Yeah. So, sorry. I, I, I usually, like I said, I don't hate on movies as much as this. And I think it is because black, one of the other movies I had this visceral of a bad reaction to was Man of Steel. And I care about silent movies and I care about Superman. When, so when somebody, in my opinion, desecrates them, I get upset. <laughs> so what you're saying is Babylon for best costume? Uh, no. <laughs> Wait, oh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Um, so... I, there's Babylon, and I like I said, the, the costumes are great. Um, and I, I do think what's interesting in here, all the uh, all these films were nominated uh, for um, the Costume Designer Guild and Contemporary uh, Costumes, I think it was. But except for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, that was nominated. That, that won the category for sci-fi, mm. um, which is interesting. And but I think this category is going to come down to two Oscar perennials, which is uh, Black Panther, which is, which is Ruth Carter. And she won her first Oscar for the first Black Panther. And this, that film also won the Critics' Choice Award. And I do think, talking about how costume can move story, the mixture of the Af Afrofuturism with the Mesoamerican futurism was a really cool story point that the costumes drove home in that film. So I think that has a chance. But I think what's going to win is Elvis. And that's a, it won the BAFTA, it won the Costume Designers Guild Award for period. And uh, Catherine Martin, who is the wife of the director, Baz Luhrmann, is the costume designer. She's also the production designer and she was a producer. So she's nominated in three categories for costume design, production design, and best picture. Uh, she's won this category twice and has one other nomination. Uh, but I think, I think this is where you honor Catherine Martin. Cause I think, and, and as much as I, just ranted and raved and hated on Babylon. I think they're competing against each other for the costume and production designer uh, awards. And I think they're going to edge each other out in the other ones. And I think Elvis will take this one. And that kind of, you kind of now know my, uh, what I think, not my choice, but what I think is going to win for production design. <laughs> All right. So that, uh, gets us a little bit to the halfway point. Let's hear from the prescribed film podcast network and take a quick break. Um, 
regather ourselves after our Babylon <laughs> talk. And then, uh, sorry about that. No, no, it's good. It's a good way to sort of transition into our quick break, and then uh, we'll be right back. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening Okay, so now we're getting into some uh, heavier categories. We are going into original screenplay. Mm. We have the Banshees of Inshirin. We have Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness finally makes its first appearance. There it is. Uh, yeah, you know something? I, I love Triangle of Sadness. Um, I would have preferred the menu to be nominated in its spot. Of the subgenre of Eat the Rich that was this year, um, I, 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 the menu was the, was the choice for me, but Triangle of Sadness was also very good. I think the interesting thing here is, is that two of these films were written, um, uh, not under the WGA contract. That's the Banshees of Inchirin because it's a British film and Triangle of Sadness. And so those were not nominated for the, the Writers Guild Awards. So it's, it, it makes for an interesting category in their place at the Writers Guild. We had the menu and Nope were the nominees. Okay. Um, so it, it's, it slightly, it makes it a harder category to predict because it's not one-to-one. -one. Um, I don't think Tar or Fablemans will hit these categories as a win. And I think it's between Banshees of Inshirin and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Banshees of Inshirin won the Golden Globe. It won the BAFTA. It was not eligible for the Writers Guild, so we don't have that as a, as an indicator. Everything Everywhere All at Once, though, has run the Critics' Choice the Writers Guild, and also won the Indie Spirit Award. And so I think the momentum is behind that. And I, I it definitely, if it wins editing and screenplay, you're going to know it's going to win Best Picture <laughs> at that point. You're going to have, because they say, you know, the film is written when it's shot and written when it's, uh, you know, this is, you, you write the film three times. It's when you, uh, when you write it on this page, you write it on the stage, and you edit in the, in the, in the editing room. And if it wins both the kind of, storytelling awards for screenplay and editing it's a lock for best picture yeah i i liked triangle of sadness also um but i was a little confused as to how it landed some of the nominations it did it's fantastic but um mm. just thinking of other things and and it's funny that i was thinking that earlier and then you bring up the menu uh and sort of this, I, I didn't put two and two together until you you actually said it out loud i'm like oh yeah they have similar themes in that way yeah. we we just talked about the menu on attack of the killer podcast we did a uh food horror episode nice. and, I, and i'm always like pushing to get the guys they're a little bit older than me and they like to watch the 70s and 80s horror and i'm like can mm. we get one modern movie guys and finally got them <laughs> and they all loved it of course uh but yeah Tri triangle sadness was very i had no idea what it was about when i went into it and uh very interesting. I, I think mm -hmm. it's an interesting choice to get so many nominations. Um, but 
Yeah, I am. I, I will 100% say I'm biased and I am rooting for everything everywhere all at once to take home as many as it can. I know it's not going to take home, you know, costume. Uh, yeah, that's probably the one that's for sure that it's nominated. It's not taking home, um, but probably not song either. But <laughs> yeah, that, that one either. Yeah. I mean, of course, again, I would rather uh, I, I would root for that one, knowing that it's not going to win just because mm. I sat next to the group and watched the movie with them. It's pretty cool. Wrote the song. Yeah. And, and that was just like a chance thing. Uh, I was literally scrolling through Facebook. They just posted, hey, Sun Lux is playing at the Ingler on like it was like Friday. So they're going to they're going to be here a day early. They're coming by to host a Q&A after the movie. And so cool. Show up like bought tickets that day. Go up. It sold out. And we sit in the top back row, which I always prefer in a theater. And then they have these sort of private seats in the very back that are like big cushion seats. And, you know, the movie starts and they came and sit right behind us. And I'm still kicking myself because they had these like cool little promo postcards and I was sort of hanging out with the movie. I'm like, I should get them to sign it, but I don't have a marker. And I was like, it'd be mm. awkward to ask them if they have a marker. And it's still, you know, it's like, should I should ask for a picture or something, but I didn't want to bother them because they were just there. That was the first time they saw it in the theater, too, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and hearing their uh, perspective on how they did it. We'll, we'll get to that on, on score and song. Um, but mm. Yeah, I, I all of my backing is behind that movie, but um, you know I wouldn't be too upset if Banshees won because that that has a great screenplay too. Yeah, I think those are the two. Um, I would I I'm I'm kind of betting because it took the WGA award um, that it will, will, but there is that factor where Banshees was ineligible for the WGA award because it was made in England. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Well, now we go to adapted screenplay. We have once again all quiet on the Western Front. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, makes its first appearance. Living makes its first appearance. Top Gun Maverick and Women Talking makes its first appearance. So again, we have two films that were not nominated for the Writers Guild Award uh, because, again, they were made overseas, All Quiet in the Western Front and Living. In their place, the uh, Writers Guild had nominated Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and She Said. Um, So here we have, uh, I think... It's a re- it's a it's an interesting category. Um, I, I think Living is kind of out because I think it's only got the two nominations, and I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Glass Onion is Ryan Johnson. Everybody loves his films. There's a chance for that. I do think Top Gun Maverick is just a brilliant screenplay. You couldn't do an action sequel any better than that. I don't think anybody ever will. They just constructed that formula so well. But it does have a... I think it's like five writers are credited on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as probably as much of that as Christopher McQuarrie editing and taking everything that they did and turning it into the script that we saw, I think it's hard to kind of acknowledge that. It's going to be hard to give that one an award with that many um, people. So I think it kind of does come down to, and as it does with a lot of things, it's all Quiet on the Western Front against something else. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, again, if it's if it's winning something like this, it's got a lot of momentum and it has a really good shot at, at, the, at the top prize. Um, it's hard to tell because, again, it wasn't nominated for the WGA Award. I think in the industry, I think this is where we're going to take a chance to um, acknowledge women talking. It's won the Critics' Choice. It won the Indie Spirit. It won the Writers Guild. I think it won a, a special uh, University of Southern California Scripter Award. It is nominated for Best Picture. It is. I remember I got out of this and I texted again my my, my friends that I chat about with movies, and I was like, "This movie should be just be required viewing for discussions in high schools." Yeah. Like this is just like it. It just hits every kind of 
women's relations and and how they relate to men and it's just it's a really well done film and you can tell because Frances McDormand he was barely in the movie but just took the supporting role because she wanted to produce the film and make sure these issues got talked about I'm just being vague because I I want to spoil the movie for you but um I think that's that seems to be where the momentum in town is going to be and I think uh I think it, it just seems like women talking has all the momentum to take this uh this Oscar is there any more uh, perfectly titled movie than Women Talking? I mean, it's literally <laughs> it's, what the movie is. It is exactly what the movie is. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> it was one of those ones, too, where I was like, okay, I'm watching this almost as homework. And then watching it, I'm like, oh, this is actually fantastic and important. And, and I can see yeah. why it's nominated. It made all the sense in the world once I started watching it. And it, it's one of those where I start watching and my phone gets put down. And then I'm like the credits are going, I'm like, Oh, that felt like it was pretty quick. You know, it's, yeah. it really, it really pulled me in. And I think it's, it's, it, it is one of those quintessential things like we were talking about, about why we watch all the Oscar nominees. Cause it's a, it's a movie that takes in a certain amount of a mental fortitude to like, okay, I'm going to go watch this movie about these really deep subject, subject matter. And it's not something, you know, I'm action sci-fi. You're kind of a horror guy. Like we're, we're it's not in our wheelhouse normally to go watch these movies. And then you watch them and you're like, oh, that was 100% great. I'm so glad I saw it. But it is only because we're watching all these Oscar nominees that we kind of make ourselves go out and, and seek these outside of our norm uh, movies to watch. And so I, I, that's why I love doing this list is because it does make me sit down and be like, I have to see these movies so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, it's a cool experience to see things like, like I said, I, never a movie I would be scrolling through Netflix and be like, play. You know, I'm never <laughs> going to pick women talking yeah. based on the title. But I need to relax on a Wednesday night after work. Let's watch this. Yeah, for sure. And uh, but again, one of those, uh, like, like I said, uh, never would have discovered it if I didn't watch it and recommend everyone give it a watch. Uh, yeah. Our next topic is original score. We have All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, take a drink every time I say that title and <laughs> everything. Uh, Babylon, the Devanches of Inshirin. We have everything everywhere all at once. Take another drink and the Fablemans. Uh, yep. John Williams is in here again. 53rd nomination. What a legend. Uh, I'm I'm yeah. salty because he was supposed to play last year in Chicago and I was going to meet up with the Littlefields. It didn't happen? No, he had a postpone for a scheduling conflict, which I'm guessing was indie or something. I don't know what he Probably. was scoring, but uh, he, he ended up getting a new job and he canceled or postponed to this year. And then it's happening in like two weeks and all the tickets sold to members of the uh, like you have to be a member of the orchestra. I don't know, not a club, but you know, uh, like, yeah. And so they they pre-sold out before they even went on to the public. So I had well, no chance. I will tell you once again, there are tickets available. Uh, he's playing three dates. Uh, I think the first second weekend of July coming out. We'll go see John Williams together at the Hollywood Bowl. Something I would love to do, you know, he's on, he's like the last really big one on my bucket list. And I know my time is very limited. So he, I saw him at the Hollywood bowl last year where he played his annual concert and he actually came out and he said, well, I'm going to play something for you. Nobody else has heard. He was like, I was just on the scoring stage for, with James Mangold on Indiana Jones five. And we're going to play you Phoebe Waller bridges theme. How cool. And he, we got to hear the Indy five score back in like september so um it is he, he and he uh, it, it's it's incredible seeing him play live and you're just like 
you're watching him go and then you're you're thinking about all the great things you've heard him play that night and then you're also going oh my god he didn't play this and he didn't play this and he didn't play this and you just realize dude has more hits than the beatles like he's just there's just no way he can fit everything into one yeah yeah it would take four nights of different set lists to get through everything it's just in it his body of work is incredible literally you know i think one of the greatest composers of all time no doubt but I don't think he's winning this category. I don't think he is either. And I think, you know, I think the, the Fableman score is so restrained. I was listening to an interview with Spielberg talking about spotting the film with Williams and the real first music isn't until 25, 30 minutes into the movie because it just didn't need it. And I think it's a very restrained and personal score, but it's not a showy one that's going to get an Oscar. Um, I think that, you know, I think as good as Everything Everywhere All at Once is and Banshees of Inchiron, I think this it, it does come between three movies i do think the fableman has a chance because of john williams nostalgia and i think if john williams hadn't unretired during the publicity for this film Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he was going to do this in indy 5 and he was going to retire and then he unretired he told spielberg on stage i'm still working and spielberg's like i gotta write another movie so john has something to score (laughs) so um i think if, if williams had retired and this had been the last spielberg williams movie it would have had a better chance but that didn't happen so I think it kind of comes down to uh, 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 between All Quiet on the Western Front, though, and Babylon. Um, uh, Justin Hurwitz, who did Babylon, the Academy loves that guy. He's gotten two Oscars already. For me, I kind of thought the Babylon score was. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to go on another Babylon rant. <laughs> um, I, I, again, I could. That's another podcast. I should have called you. We could have done a first. Eth- it would have been two, three hours long uh, <laughs> when it was fresher in my head. But I, I did fine for me there were a couple places when i was listening to the babylon score there's one big montage in the middle and i'm like it just sounds like he was quoting his la la land score yeah um and so i didn't find it as kind of i don't think it was his best work um and that you know that, that that's my personal opinion but he did win the golden globe so it is definitely one of the top contenders the other one that uh has an award recognition that is an indicator is all quiet on the western front and I think this is one of those ones where you're looking at these films and you're seeing what has the most nominations. And I think uh, All Quiet on the Western Front will just kind of have enough momentum to take this category. Um, I, I, it could, you know, that, that same kind of logic could apply to everything everywhere all at once. I, as crazy and as mad and as lovely and as beautiful as that film is, I actually, the music isn't the thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, it sort of, it's hard to even get like a uh, some recognition in there because it's so busy on the screen and with the yes. story and the the performances that it sort of has to take a backseat. Yeah. So I, 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 my prediction for this one would be all quiet on the Western front. And I thought that score was very haunting. Like agreed. It sort of like stuck with me after the movie. Like I, yeah. I, I watched it at home uh, in the basement. I have a little theater room with a 70 inch TV and really nice surround sound. And, that nice. like you said, uh, you watching at home with like the the gun blast and stuff, but the score was just brooding. It reminded me of sort of a Hans Zimmer type thing. Yeah, and there are those lovely moments where they let the score take over, take center seat, mm-hmm. which is kind of that, that doesn't happen so much in Hollywood films anymore. Where the you know the, you kind of I, I have friends who are sound mixers, and it's like, well, we can prioritize the score, or the sound effects, or the dialogue. And in most modern films, especially Hollywood made films, we kind of tend to prioritize the dialogue or the sound effects and we tend to bury the score like using a john williams reference you don't see films like star wars anymore where the score is allowed to like or empire strikes back specifically of like the the asteroid field it's like Mm -hmm. it's not the asteroids wishing by we're hearing we're hearing the asteroid 
theme and there's right. a theme for the asteroids which yep. you watch the more modern star wars films they don't do that and uh, all quiet in the western front is kind of a throwback to that style where we actually let the music take a center seat and convey a mood and allowed us to sit in that and i think that's since it helps drive the storytelling i do think that's one of the factors in all quiet in the western front winning this oscar next we have film editing a very important one Mm. And uh, I'll be saying these titles, like, like I said, again. That's yeah, a drinking game. Yeah. Don't actually don't do that because I you won't make it to the end of the episode. Uh, <laughs> again, we have uh, Banshees. We have Elvis. We have everything everywhere all at once. Tar and Top Gun Maverick. Uh, th- this one, I really don't know. These are all so well oh, I can... edited. I am here to help. Um, there are only two I think you have to worry about here um as as as, and that's saying something because elvis certainly probably has the most amount of editing because it's a baz Luhrmann film um there's more editing in the first 45 minutes of that movie than i think all of tar um and tar is longer but that doesn't always i mean it did work in uh what was the uh the uh, Queen one, uh, Bohemian oh, Rhapsody. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. It, it yeah, worked in its favor a, of a million a bit. edits. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of factors in that. I do think that does tend to be something that hurts this category sometimes because I think people noticed the editing, which is kind of what you're not supposed to do. But it's right. like, oh, it had a lot of editing. Um, uh, but I think this one comes down to really two films, and it's either going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once or Top Gun Maverick. Um, for the Editors Guild, there is there are two categories. There's I think it's a comedy and a drama. Top Gun won the drama. Everything Everywhere All Once won the comedy. Comedy. So they're both winners with the Editors Guild awards. Um, Top Gun Maverick has the interesting history of because of the way they shot the multicam in the cockpit, they actually shot as much footage for Top Gun Maverick as they shot for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay, that makes that sense. That is a yeah. lot of footage to go through, but. Yeah. And they made a big deal about that. If you like, I listened to a lot of industry podcasts, and both the cinematographers and the editors were talking about it because they had to shoot all the footage, and the editors had to go through all the footage. Um, so there, there is a lot to go through to make that movie work, and that the pacing on that film is so good. But um, everything, everywhere, all at once, like like you said, the crazy amounts of tones that you go through in that movie going from the different multiverses to rocks being incredibly moving and having that land. It's just the editing really is crucial to the storytelling here in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a noticeable way, but in a good noticeable way where you're actually being taken through everything and it's cohesive because it's this movie could have fallen apart real easy and it could have fallen apart even if it was with the same footage. If it hadn't been edited just right like this, it would not have worked. And, and you've seen that the critic, everybody seems to agree with that. The BAFTA, like I said, it won the ACE award. It also won the BAFTA, a critic's choice and an entity spirit. Um, and the interesting thing again about film editing is it hasn't been true in the past five or six years, but there was a time where the film editing Oscar was the early indicator in the award in, in, in the Oscar broadcast that would let you know what's gonna win best picture, that almost always the editing would win best Oscar, win the best picture. Um, and I think that's probably what's going to happen this year to preview a future category. But I think ev- everything everywhere all at once is going to win the editing Oscar. I mean, just watching it and knowing what they had for a screenplay, I can't imagine the daunting task for uh, the poor editor for this, having to figure this out. I mean, even the cast was saying when they read the script and, and again, uh, 
watching this with Sun Lux and they were talking about trying to compose music to mm-hmm. what was they were sent a screenplay and they're like they reached out to Daniels and they're like, hey, um, I <laughs> think you sent like an incomplete script because it just <laughs> it's jumping and we don't know what's we're missing pages in the middle. And they're like, no, that's the movie. Yeah, that's and they're that's like, exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to do this on screen? And they're like, we're going to try our best. And then uh, th- they, they sort of sat down with some footage and then they're like, oh, shit, like we get this now. And, and right. Uh, really interesting. But I, like I said, what a daunting task for an editor uh, to have to come in and, and make this movie cohesive and make sense and, and flow and get that feeling of the tone. And, and yeah, they, they nailed it. Yeah, I think I think of, of every film here, it's the most complicated editing trick possible. So I, I think that's got it. Okay, we have our sort of final smaller. I wouldn't say smaller, but one that mm. has. Uh, we're we're not repeating names in this one. Uh, we have documentary feature <laughs> film. We have all that breathes, all the beauty and bloodshed, fire of love, a house made of splinters, and. Navalny, and I will admit this is the only category out of everything I haven't gotten to. Okay, this I mean I recommend everything here. Um, I think the one we can eliminate really easy is All That Breathes. It's a lovely little film, um, but I just don't think it kind of has the uh, the cachet to cross over here. Everything else in this category has a really good chance. It's going to come down to what message the Academy feels like they should back this year. Um, Fire of Love is a documentary about, uh, it's on Disney Plus, it's a National Geographic film, and it's about uh, two volcano hunters, a, a married couple. And it is really lovely and romantic, and it's actually been picked up for development into a narrative feature. So Hollywood, with this Academy Award nomination, fell in love with this story. And so that momentum might take it uh, to the Oscar. And it is I can't say it's a completely feel good, but it's the most fun of all these, <laughs> um, which is, you know, usually you don't go to the documentary feature category for fun. Um, all the beauty in the bloodshed is an amazing film about um, a woman who is, uh, Oh God, where, how do you even describe all this? She, her life is amazing. She, um, she was a, photographer designer in the 70s kind of counterculture scene in new york and then ended up getting caught up in the opioid crisis recently um and so it is a really wonderful look for women's rights for um for uh um for trans and bisexual rights it's won the indie spirit awards which kind of makes sense because it is about an artistic community so you can see it appealing to the indie spirit culture um I, i if if it's if this ended up appealing to a certain segment of the academy population, I could see it taking the award. Um, but usually, the documentary feature category is where the Oscars allows themselves to get political, and they have two options here for that political message, and they're both Ukrainian themed or adjacent. Um, House Made of Splinters uh, is about uh, orphanage in the Ukraine and the challenges of finding these orphan kids' homes. The war is in the background. It's not, these, these kids are not orphaned because of the war, which is what I thought it was going to be going in, but they're, it's about you know, the houses they're in, but it is just this heartbreaking and heart, sometimes heartwarming story about these children trying to find homes and growing up in this, kind of, in, in this country and trying to find 
a path and these counselors who are kind of provide the structure of the film as, as they bring these kids in and out and you attach to different children for little portions of the film. Um, and I think bringing any attention to Ukraine is something that's going to appeal to a lot of Academy voters. And because of the, how kind of engaging the children in this movie are, uh, I could see it really uh, reaching people. I think that it's the underdog choice here. I think the one that's going to get it is going to be Navani, which is Navani is a um, is is the independent. He's the Bernie Sanders to 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 Putin in Russia. Okay, and it is about a, an attempt that Putin made on his life uh, that got a lot of international news and um, basically how Navani uncovered the conspiracy after he recovered and the attempt failed. And there is one scene where they get one of the guys who is in on the conspiracy to confess over the phone when he doesn't know he's actually talking to the man he tried to kill. I, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Like you're just like, oh my, like you cannot. But it's like Oliver Stone's wet dream of like, oh my god, you actually got this shit to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it did win the Producers Guild Award, the PGA Award for Best Documentary. And I, I, I think it's going to be the winner because I think it is your, and this, you know, not to spoil the movie, but right now this guy's, this Navani is um, essentially Nelson Mandela to Russia. He's in prison. Okay. And so you're, you know, he is the, he is, he is the liberal alternative to make Russia what I think those of us in the West would prefer it to be. He's not perfect. He's like, he's. He kind of has a thing in the movie where he like, they're like, you're, you're using the support of Nazis. And he's like, I'll use the support of anybody to get Putin out of office, even if I don't agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, oh, yeah, but they're fucking Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's hard to get behind. He's not perfect, but he does address it and he does meet it head on. And he is incredibly charming. And you do see, um, you know, it, it, it certainly he would not have invaded Ukraine for sure. <laughs> you know, it would be a better alternative. Um, so I, I think because Hollywood would, pro- there, there's certainly going to be a, a, a section of Hollywood that would want to, um, undermine anything to do with, uh, with Putin. And like I said, this is a really well-made movie. It's really slick. And House of Splinters, on the other hand, is very low key, intimate. I don't, I don't think it had an especially big crew. It is the opposite of slick. Um, so it is going to come down to where the Academy is feeling about that, um, and what their tastes are this year. And, and as always, they have new memberships and you don't know where there's going to go and where the, the new guard and the old guard is going to land. But I think Navani seems to have the most, I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly. Um, is, it has the best chance. And like I said, the fact that it won the producer's guild award gives it, um, the, the edge over all of these. Cause that is much like best picture what it usually wins the producer's guild because those producers are in the Academy. It's a pretty good indicator of where things are going. Yeah, I, I hope I can find all these before the weekend. Um, Everything's our... out there. Fire of Love is on Disney+. Plus. <gasps> Beauty and Bloodshed, I think, is now... I think that is now on digital. It might be on HBO, Ma- HBO Max. All It Breathes, I think, is on HBO Max now. How to Splinters, you can rent. And Novani is definitely on HBO Max. All right. Well, that's good to know they're out there. I just... Uh, I simply ran out of time and... Yeah, yeah, that was. I was disappointed I didn't make the Oscar death race, but I got it down to one category. <laughs> hey, you, you, it's Tuesday. You still got some time. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Uh, 
you're, you're like you have a full week I'm, I'm sure you probably just don't want to like turn a tv on for the next month but uh i i'm happy i can finish last of us and star trek picard and go see creed 3 and i i i'm, I'm like i'm finally able to commit fully to entertainment from 2023 yeah that's i'm excited for creed 3 and cocaine bear and yeah cocaine cocaine bear is fun uh and creed 3 is awesome if you can go see it in imax the fight scenes are incredible Excellent. Well, speaking of IMAX, we have production design next. Ooh. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of the Water, Babylon, Elvis, and the Fablemans. Uh, we've heard all about all of them, but what do you think takes production design? Well, this is a really interesting uh, category because there there are the the per, uh, the category or the guild that tells us what might be winning here is the Art Directors Guild, and the Art Director Guilds has three categories: sci-fi, contemporary, and period. And the winner of sci-fi was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is not nominated. The winner of contemporary was Glass Onion, which is not nominated. Hmm. Um, so the only Art Director Guild award here that was actually won was Babylon. And it also won the Critics' Choice Award. And like I said, there is that kind of, uh, I think that communication between Elvis and uh, Babylon on the production design and the costume design is too period epics loosely based on real events and i think and it's interesting Catherine martin is nominated in this category for elvis just as she is for costume design but i think because she's got the edge on costume design i think this is where babylon could take the edge and and win for production design and listen as much as i despise the movie the production design is is pretty impressive in this film it's, there's no doubt about that yeah i i would not you know without the knowledge like the background that you have i would not know where to go with this because all of them have really great production design yeah and i mean i i think the one that i could look at this list and say probably will not win and it's not a knock against the production design but it would it because it's the simplest and that would be the fablemans right um i think you know obviously avatar holy crap i can't even imagine what the designing process of that movie looks like I think uh, the design and what they did in World War One with All Quiet in the Western Front is really impressive. And again, this is one of those films where uh, the Academy can get caught up in the momentum of a film. So if they're starting awarding All Quiet in the Western Front, it, this just may be one it picks up along the way. Um, obviously, Elvis is, like I said, to me, that's the, it's between Elvis and Babylon. Um, Elvis is, and that film looks amazing. So, I, I, you know, Everything in here is a contender, but I think Babylon, because of the Critics' Choice and the Art Director Guild Award wins, it has the edge. Yeah, two very flashy, bright movies. Uh, yeah. Actually and the very similar. Very similar. And I think, one, like I said, that's why they kind of are fight in these production design and costume design categories. But one thing, because I know you love everything everywhere all at once, like I said, it won the Sci-Fi Production Design Award, which you know what it means, that beat Avatar Yeah, for production design. So uh, that's an interesting indicator to me of where the industry or how the industry is feeling about um the production design of avatar and if you look at these other films they're all period films except for avatar the only uh and so that means that babylon beat all of these at the art director guild awards because it it's the one that won period all right well we're going on to probably my least favorite out of this just because i feel <laughs> like it doesn't really have a lot to do with the movie and it almost just gives them an excuse to have live music at the uh event but we have original song so yep we have applause from tell it like a woman we which have, everybody saw yes of course uh we have hold my hand from top gun maverick lift me up from black panther wakanda forever 
Um, not too, not too from RRR. We have This Is A Life from Everything Everywhere All At Once. And we didn't get anything from Weird Al on um, Al, the Weird, that the Al Yankovic story. I'm sad that he didn't make it, but... I, I, I think that may have qualified as a TV movie because I don't think it got a big enough theatrical release, but I could be wrong about that. That's a bummer. Um, well, I think my favorite thing this when this category happened this morning, I sent you an article uh, this morning from uh, Peter Hammond at, at Deadline, breaking down all the nominees. And he was talking about Diane Warren, who wrote the song Applause for Tell It Like a Woman. And Diane Warren is kind of an Oscar legend because she now has 14 nominations and no wins. <laughs> to the point that the Academy actually this fall gave her an honorary Oscar. Just like, you need one. Have something. Yeah, just, just we're we sorry. Need to clear our conscience. Yeah, we're sorry. And, yeah. And the funny thing is, like, this is her. Yep, Diane Warren got nominated for a film. And Tell It Like a Woman was the hardest film for me to track down. It finally got a release a couple weeks ago on digital. Um, it's an anthology film, a series of, of short films within a movie. It's kind of like watching a short film block with all this theme of women telling their stories. But in that Peter Hammond article that I sent you this morning, uh, he called it a documentary. <laughs> so I was like, that's how unseen this movie is. The yeah. guy who's the Oscar expert at Deadline Hollywood didn't know what the movie was about. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of summed up applause to me. <laughs> um, so... That's not going to win. I was a, say, we could check that off the list. You can check that one off the list. Sorry, it's a long story to say, yeah, Diane Warren's not winning her Oscar this year. Um, there's a lot of reasons why she's not, and that's one of them. Uh, I don't honestly think everything. Uh, this is a, a life has much of a chance. I, as much as I love everything everywhere at once, I, I don't remember the song, honestly. Nope, me either. Yeah. Um, Lift Me Up, it's Rihanna, it's Flashy, it's Black Panther, it's in tribute to Chadwick Boseman, it's moving. Um, that certainly has a shot. Hold my hand. And uh, if anybody's been tracking the story of how the score for Top Gun Maverick came together, um, Hans Zimmer loved Hold My Hand from Lady Gaga so much that he went back into the score of the movie and reincorporated it as one of the themes. And actually, Lady Gaga ended up getting his credit as score by with Hans Zimmer because of how she contributed that song to the score. So it's definitely, I think. More than anything, Hold My Hand has a um, the biggest influence of, of these first on four... On the actual film, yeah. On the actual film. And to be fair, too, for Lift Me Up, not only is it with Rihanna, but it's also Ludwig Göransson, who the Oscars obviously love, and Ryan Coogler wrote some of the lyrics, the director of the film. Hmm. And that, is, that would be interesting if Ryan Coogler wins his first Oscar for a song. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the one... You know, I kind of build to the what I think is going to win. The, the the one that's got this locked is Not To Not To from RRR. And uh, to kind of give the backstory, RRR is the highest grossing film in the history of Indian cinema. If you have not seen this, it's on Netflix. Make sure you select the foreign language. Don't let it default to the English language film uh, option. It is the most batshit crazy, insane action musical you have ever seen how is it, it not up for international feature yes uh well to be nominated for international feature you have to be nominated by your country's committee so and they it, didn't it, india didn't nominate it god damn it so the oscars couldn't nominate it which right. is kind of sad and i think everybody feels that loss because i think everybody wanted it, it like everything everywhere or uh, all quiet in the western front would have serious competition if rrr had been eligible for that category, but it wasn't. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen RRR, just watch the Oscars on Sunday night. 
they're performing this song live <laughs> um there are you can go on youtube when they do this song when this scene comes up in movie theaters and i'm not just in india but there's footage of it happening at the chinese theater here in la the audience gets up and starts dancing like crazy like th this movie is insane and the, these musical numbers are an, a huge part of it it's about these two real life figures in uh in india india's history and it tells a fictional story of them be kind of becoming brothers in arms um and it is i don't watch I, a trailer just go don't, yeah, just go just go watch it just go watch it and yeah you'll, you'll it'll blow your mind you've never seen an action movie like this insane so again cool. one of the movies again i wish i had seen in an actual movie. i wish i was at that chinese theater screening um i would have loved to have seen it in that theater but um yeah, the, you'll get it when you see this song perform. The energy that it, they're going to light the Dolby Theater on fire with this thing, and the audience will be standing in a way that these other films are not, these other songs are not going to do that. Yeah, I regret not seeing this. It played at Film Scene in Iowa City. And this is one of those movies that I really wish we just had, like, fuck you money at the Capitol. So I could mm -hmm. just, I, I just want this. I just, I would love to play this, but I know nobody in Burlington, Iowa is coming to see it. Uh, Besides, I'm, if you do, I'm half tempted to fly up and drive <laughs> down and see it. <laughs> so maybe it's one of those things I'll have to like sneak my own little uh, Nvidia Shield into the theater late one night just so I can say I saw it in a theater, play it for my small group of friends because I think this is one that people are not like in the film circles all are talking about it. They've been talking about it since it came out, but I feel like just the people just right outside the film circle uh, that you know, might not know anything about it. This is one that it would be great to see at, with a group of friends that know mm -hmm. nothing about it. Just unleash it on them. I'm just going to throw it out there. Make it a midnight selection during Snake Alley. Okay. Throw just, it. Just, just make it part of the festival. Put it on the program. We can always just have it, uh, you know, that could be an after party. Yeah, <laughs> totally. 100%. Yeah. Okay, so we have a really, really heavy one coming up. Yeah, we're 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 in the thick of it now. We're in the thick of it. We have, uh, and and I, they'll all be for the most part movies we've talked about already. We're yeah. on directing, so we have Banshees, we have Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. Uh, it's gonna be incredible to see daniels uh beat Steven Spielberg. Sorry. But... <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much sums it up. I mean, I not to. Uh, minimize Tar, Triangle of Sadness, or Banshees of Inchirin, but this does come down to the Fablemans and everything everywhere all at once. I think Fablemans was an early favorite. It won the Golden Globe. I think Universal made an incredible mistake about how they released this film. Yeah, so, like, it got streaming here before it ever came to theaters. Yeah. They gave they, it no chance. Yeah, it had a limited release uh, November 11th, the same weekend as Black Panther Wakanda Forever here in L.A., and um and then they went wide on thanksgiving but I, everybody i've talked to i've talked to people and i've talked to you i've talked to some people in atlanta nobody could find this movie and i found like an afternoon screen to take my mom to in, in minneapolis i'd already seen it but i knew my mom it's, it's a good mom thanksgiving movie or mm -hmm. christmas movie um she loved it <laughs> but uh i i think it had burned out i think it should have honestly been a wide release against Avatar. I know it would have gotten crushed at the box office, but I think it would have had the momentum because I think there was a lack of movies like this for families to go to. Um, and I think when those Avatar screenings were, were sold out, people would have gone to see this instead. Yeah, overflow. And unfortunately, it came out early. It, it kind of bombed at the box office because nobody could find it. And I think it, as, as 
it's it is a good film and i actually liked it better the second time i saw it but i it just lost a lot of momentum and i think it kind of became oh yeah Steven Spielberg telling his life story. Okay. And it just, it, 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 it kind of got dismissed, which is interesting because you would think that's what would have happened to everything everywhere all at once where it came out in March. Right. <laughs> and lost all its momentum. But it's it, because, like you say, the cast and crew have such solidarity at these events and they had their foot in the door. They have really um opened themselves up in a way because of how charismatic they are on these red carpets and it's become such a great feel-good story that they've won the dga they won the critics choice they won the bafta they won the indie spirit and it is there are only eight times when somebody has won the dga award and not won the, uh, the oscar so if you're if you're filling out your betting pool everything everywhere all at once don't bet on spielberg i mean it could happen i'm not saying it does happen but it's it's happened eight times but for the most part historically who wins the dga award wins the oscar and with that momentum of everything everywhere it's like it had a re-release a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. it's still playing in theaters here a year later i can i can literally drive to iowa city where i saw it last a year ago now nice. I, I can it's it came back for like another two weeks and it's their highest grossing movie at that theater of all time. Wow, which That's is awesome. really cool. So. And it was the highest grossing film in the history of the studio A twenty four who released it. Um, so I you know it, it 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 is it is a juggernaut. It's not a it's not a Marvel movie in terms of box office, but it really had a great run. Yeah, and awesome. having a great run. <laughs> awesome to see. Uh, I have to give a shout out to Nikki who has a Swiss Army man and an everything everywhere all at once tattoo on her arm. So, wow. Yeah. Dedicate you. You, you are. Yeah. You better root for that movie. Yeah. She <laughs> she she got the Swiss Army man one before uh, everything everywhere came out. So she's like she gets all the credit for being that hardcore Daniels fan before they were cool. You know, she she called it yeah. Good for her. Yeah. So uh, trailblazer. Yeah. So next we have uh one of the biggest actor in a mm-hmm. leading role. We have, of course, Austin Butler as, as Elvis. We have Colin Farrell in Banshees. We have Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. And the most interesting thing about this category, these are all first-time nominees. Really cool. Yeah. So, so it's, it's one of those interesting things. Like we talk about other categories where it's like, oh, they've won before, so they may not win this time. This is a, kind of an open field because of that. And at least nobody here has won an Oscar or been nominated or won an Oscar before. So, so it takes everybody's, that out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. It takes that kind of politics out of the equation. So you can kind of look at it more clearly. That said, I think both Living and After Sun, their kind of award is being nominated. Yep. Um, and I think you can kind of eliminate those two. Colin Farrell did win the Golden Globe Best Actor Award for Comedy, while Austin Butler took the Golden Globe Award for Drama. Um, in kind of a shock, uh, and this is kind of what gives Austin Butler a little bit of an edge here, he won the BAFTA for Actor from the British Academy Award over Colin Farrell. for Brit- mm. And like I said, the British tend to kind of award their own, but in this case, they awarded Austin Butler. So he's got a good bit of momentum behind that. But I think the favorite going into this whole season and kind of in that same, you were talking about how great the Everything Everywhere at Once cast is at these award shows. And because Key and Brendan Fraser were in Encino Man together, yeah, they've adopted Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yep, as part of their family. Yeah. As part of their family. And so he's kind of got a lot of that goodwill momentum. Um, and he's won the Critics' Choice, and Brendan Fraser's also won the SAG. 
Um, he would be my pick to go through this. I know there are a lot of mixed feelings about this movie. Um, I've seen it twice. I actually love this movie. Uh, I, 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 I am not ashamed to say that I'm a blubbering teary eyed mess for the whole line credits. Both times I've seen this. Yeah. Like me too. Again. Yeah. It's uh, like a friend looked at me once and was like, what? And I was like, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just gushing. But I have some other friends who obviously dealing with the issues of, uh, of weight and how that presented in media there are some people who just think it's a very bad representation of that and i have to respect that and their opinion of that and if that could be the one thing that goes into this that takes away from that and i know a lot of people there's a lot of mixed feelings about darren aronofsky cinema <laughs> yeah and i like i said personally i love the wrestler and i think this is kind of akin to that um and that tone of storytelling and i i think it's difficult I don't think it's easy to watch, but I do think it's it's a really good character study. Um, and I think that coupled with the fact of just we all want to see Brendan Fraser do good. And it's a great feel good story seeing Brendan Fraser kind of come back and much like Kihu Kwan, see him kind of reclaim this this spot that he lost and kind of this time that he missed and become this uh, Academy Award winning actor that he always kind of should have been. I think that's the most compelling story versus Austin Butler, who I think is going to have an amazing career. He's in the sequel to Dune coming up. He's going to be in a lot of great movies. He's a really amazing actor and he's just classic hunky, good looking dude with the bassy voice. Like he's going to have a long career. Um, and so I think he's going to have another shot. And I think this is Brendan Fraser's time. And I think that's how this is going to go down. I hope so too. I, I loved that movie. I loved the story. Uh, I saw a pretty funny meme online that was like, you know, when are we getting the Darren Aronofsky uh, Avengers movie with the, <laughs> the whale mother, Noah, Black Swan and the wrestler together? Uh, yeah, I, I tell you the the one you, you joke about that, but the uh, complete side uh, the, he was supposed to direct the Wolverine. Oh, and uh, and uh, he couldn't because of the nature of what was going on with his divorce. And because he was married to Rachel Wise, who was going to uh, who was getting together with Daniel Craig. OK. And to keep custody of his kids and he wanted to shoot the movie in Japan, he couldn't leave the States. So essentially, it's James Bond's fault that we don't have a Darren Aronofsky Marvel film. Um, so I'm OK just... without it, though. You know, no, I, I would like it. But it, the reason that Hugh Jackman became the weird, bulky Wolverine, uh, because Aronofsky said, you know, in the comics, Wolverine is like two, 200 pounds of muscle and he's five foot two. Mm-hmm. And you're six feet tall. So if you're going to convey that silhouette, you need to get like ridiculous muscle size. And that's why Hugh Jackman shifted and became like this big bulky Wolverine that we've seen. Is became Darren Aronofsky. Huge Jackman. Exactly. Well, next we have makeup and hairstyling. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, and The Whale. Um Curious what you think on this one, because I have my guess in my mind. I went into this season thinking the whale was going to take it. That was where I I thought this was going to go. And it did win the Makeup and Hairstylist Guild Award for special effects. But like all these guilds, they they break these things up into different categories. Um, Black Panther won for makeup and for contemporary hair. So they, they kind of own the hairstylist. But I think most of us look at the makeup. And again, the other interesting thing is that there are films that the Guild awarded that didn't get nominated. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once took um, the Contemporary Award for Makeup and Hairstyling. 
it's not even nominated. Um, but the one film that seems to have dominated this category for awards is Elvis. It's got BAFTA, Critics' Choice, the Makeup and Hairstylist Guild. It won both for period makeup and period hairstyling. So it won both the hair and makeup sides from the Guild. So I'm guessing, if I had to guess, Elvis. Yeah, I think also the issues you talked about with the whale sort of working against it and leading role probably would work against it here. I think so. And I think also the fact that when you think about the Batman, probably why it's nominated is the same reason the whale is nominated. Right. Yep. It's, it's, it's Colin Farrell in a fat suit. Yep. A really good one, but it's, it, it is the same thing. So I think it's hard to distinguish. I think the whale and the Batman may cancel each other out in that regard. Yeah. And I think, yeah, people would feel almost guilty, you know, making that vote. Like, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to vote for Elvis because it's the easier of the two to, yeah. to stand behind. I think so. And I think that we've kind of started, to, like I said, we've started to see that at the other award shows. All right. We're down to the final two. Uh, we have actress in a leading role. So we have Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna de Armas in Blonde making its first appearance. Andrea Risenborough in Two Leslie making the first appearance. Michelle Ooh, Williams <laughs> in The Fablemans, who's in uh, been here several times, and uh, everyone's favorite Michelle Yeoh and everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> this was this is a really hard category, um, and it's probably the most controversial of the Oscars because of the Andrea Risenborough nomination. And if you don't know the real quick and easy version of this backstory, uh, To Leslie, the film she's nominated for only made $27,000 at the box office. Nobody saw this movie, but there was an underground campaign from a lot of actors in town, Edward Norton and a, and a bunch of people who held private screenings and rallied Academy voters to get this nomination. Um, so there was a little bit of controversy behind her getting that nomination. Um, the Academy actually reviewed the process to make sure no rules were violated. And I think where the public took issue with this is there are two very deserving films that should have probably been nominated for Best Actress, which is Viola Davis for The Woman King and Daniel uh, Deadweiler for Till. And obviously those are the two African-American actresses and there are no African-American actresses nominated at the Oscars this year. Yeah. Um, and so she, kind of this, there is this perception of an elitist uh, actor group yeah. <laughs> who displaced the African-Americans out of this category yeah, and you get into issues of entitlement sort of put, <laughs> push them out of the, the category. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a little rough this year because of that. Um, I think that also you can pretty much write her off from winning the Oscar. She got the nomination. Good job. And she's to be fair, she's awesome in the movie, right? It's a really, it's a great movie. It's kind of the late nineties, early independent cinema you used to kind of see coming out of Sundance. Uh, it's it's a it's a really well done film and she's fantastic in it. She's she's not undeserving. It's just kind of the way it went down. Um, and I think if it, usually I think we would all cheer for the underdog, but because of the way the underdog, who the support of the underdog came from, it colors it a little bit. Um, going into the other nominees, Anna de Armas. It's her first nomination. Uh, Blonde is certainly a controversial film. It's certainly not the film about Marilyn Monroe. A lot of people wanted to see made. Uh, I really would like to see the page of the script that says interior Marilyn Monroe's vagina because there is <laughs> yep. that shot yep. um, a couple times. <laughs> um, uh, it is a very, I mean, it is, that is, that is a film I needed to take a bath 
after watching. It, I, 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 a couple every once in a while, like, it gets my. I need a shower and a comedy club stat after watching <laughs> that movie. There's been a few like that, and that's I need, one I, of them. I need some Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I think because of the controversy uh, about around the film, because Anna de Armas is such a good up and coming actress, and this is not going to be her last nomination, I I don't see this taking the award. I honestly, personally, as much as I love Anna de Armas, and I do think she's good in the movie, I thought her accent slipped a little bit. It's kind of sounded like somebody with a Colombian accent doing Marilyn Monroe. Um, so I I I don't see her winning this category either. Uh, if you would ask me going into award season who was going to win, I would have told you Michelle Williams because this is her fifth nomination for the Fablemans. Um, and it seems like she's a, she's a perennial nominee. It seems like it's her time. But you know what? It's not her time. No. <laughs> because it's come down to two people. And Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh are the coin toss here, and I couldn't tell you to save my life which one is going to win. I hope it's Michelle Yeoh, I think. And I think it will be because she won the Golden Globe for Comedy Actress, and she run the Industry Indicator, which is the SAG. And that's, and it's, SAGs were just a couple weeks ago, so it's really close to the Academy, so you can see where the momentum is building by looking at the SAGs. But Kate Blanchett, she's won the Golden Globe for Drama, she won the BAFTA, she run the Critics' Choice. What I think, and you know, as, as good as Michelle Yeoh is in Everything Everywhere All at Once, there's a lot of other factors and things going on in that movie that make that movie good because you can see from all the other nominations and even from the other acting nominations. There are three other actors from that film nominated. Uh, but Kate Blanchett is in every scene of Tar. Yep. She is that movie. Um, and I think if it wasn't for this last fact Kate Blanchett would have it but the last fact is she's been nominated seven times and won twice she won for Blue Jasmine for actress and she won for the aviator for supporting and the fact that's the dent in Kate Blanchett's armor in this category is that she already has two Oscars whereas you have Michelle Yeoh who is the first has the chance to be the first I think she's the first Asian woman nominated in the lead actress category so therefore she could be the first Asian actress to win this category and when you kind of balance that out between somebody who's won two other Oscars and not just a deserving actress with a long career behind her who's built to this point, but you also get a chance to have that kind of representation, I think the Academy is going to take that, cha- take that shot on Michelle Yeoh, and I think she's got this Oscar. I think so, too, and I hope you're right, because another we, we just have so many, like, comeback stories, and, yeah, you know, it's it's... This could be a really special award ceremony. And I'm not just saying like it's really special if everything everywhere all at once <laughs> sweeps. Uh obviously yeah. I have a favorite, but uh, you know, Brendan and Key and, and just Yeah, or that like I said, the uh Mandy Walker, the first female cinematographer to win yeah. an Oscar. That would be amazing. And how great will that photo, you know, they always do every year at the end at the end of the award show. Uh, of the four actors who've won the Ask the Academy Award, and it's Michelle Yeoh and Kihu Kwan and Brendan Fraser, and really either Angela Bassett or Jamie Lee Curtis. Like that's any combination of those. It's going to yeah. be an awesome photo. Yeah, and it's going to look really great. Yeah, and so we come down to the big one, the final one, uh, with the most nominees. All all things we've mentioned before. No yep. surprises in here, but we have Best Picture. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, Banshees, Elvis, 
Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablements, Tar, Top Gun, Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. And this is the the ten nominees are as as Steven Spielberg pointed out uh, recently the Dark Knight Award because it used to be limited to five and that eliminated the Dark Knight from contention and failed to get the popular vote in. So they expanded it to, it could be five to 10 nominees. Right, up to 10. Up to 10, and then it wasn't getting that. So they expanded it and just did a forced 10. So now we have 10 nominees. Um, so you get movies like Top Gun Maverick nominated for Best Picture, which I'm really glad it is nominated for Best Picture because it is the best picture of that genre. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, that said, it, the indicator here is, you have to look at the films that are nominated that overlap for best picture and best director. I think it's really hard to get that best picture if you haven't had a best director nomination. So you're look you're narrowing it down to to Tar, to Everything Everywhere, to Banshees, to Triangle of Sadness, and to uh, the Fablemans. And from that, I, I kind of have what I think are going to be the top four contenders here. And I think the important thing when you're looking at these contenders is like the Producers Guild Award, this is not a category where every first place vote equals a first place win. It's called a preferential voting uh, quality. So if even if a film gets the most first place uh, award, you know, votes, if another film gets more second place votes, it could bump it up into the preferential voting. It's a weird voting system. So it can create odd winners. So that's how the momentum can shift away from something and you can get oddball winners and things that don't go quite the way you think. Um, so in a lot of ways, the four films that, you know, I think are in the contention, they all have a really good chance. There's a clear favorite, but they all have a really good chance. Um, just kind of building to what I think the winner is going to be. The Fablemans has seven nominations. Uh, it's in, so it's uh, in third place for the most, or fourth place for the most nominations. And it won the Golden Globe for drama. The Banshees of Inshiran has nine nominations. It won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy, and it won the BAFTA for Best British Film. All Quiet on the Western Front, nine nomination. Like I've been saying, it won the BAFTA for not only Best Picture, but also Best Foreign Language Film, so it won its two categories. It is handicapped. I think I mentioned earlier, no film that's a remake of a previous Best Picture winner has ever won, so that would be unprecedented. And only one international film before this has ever won Best Picture, and that was Parasite. So it's, it's pretty rare, but it is in recent memory with the current crop of Academy voters. So there is that factor. But the 800-pound the gorilla, which I don't think a year ago any of us would have thought was an 800-pound gorilla going into awards season, is everything everywhere all at once. It's got 11 Oscar nominations. It's won the PGA, the DGA, the SAG, and the Writers Guild Award. It pulled up, it sweeped all the best picture categories of the guilds and no film in history has done that. And there've only been four American beauty, no country for old men, slumdog millionaire and Argo. And of those, everything everywhere at once has the most similarity to no country for old men because old country for old, no country for old men won those guilds, but did not win the BAFTA, which is exactly what everything everywhere all at once has done. So if you want the safe bet, History is behind everything, everywhere, all at once at this point. Um, to the point that it's almost too front-loaded. 
and all these sometimes these the guild awards don't happen inside the oscar voting so they don't have all these facts but like i said the guild awards ended on sunday oscar voting ends when we're recording this tonight on the 7th so there is the chance that somebody that some some voters may feel arrogant about it and put something else a little higher on their on their um, scorecard or all quite on their western front could get more second place votes and bump itself up into winning best picture so it it's still a very wide open race but the safe money is going to be on everything everywhere all at once just blows my mind because it's i mean it's it's the weirdest movie on this list next to it's the weirdest movie in oscar history in a lot of ways yeah i mean it's <laughs> just the best picture an a24 film with an you know all asian cast written by and directed by daniels who did the harry potter farting movie a few years back <laughs> uh just i love it man uh I, I've been I trying to it's... tell my friends who, you know, of course I, I sang his praises a year ago, but I have so many friends who just like, are like, you know, they listen to this episode and they're like, this is really cool that you guys do this. But like, I don't watch any Oscar movies. I mean, <laughs> you probably saw my post about it. Like it always baffles me that there's people who will avoid Oscar movies just because they think they're stuffy and pretentious. And I'm like, this is the yeah. definition, like the definition of uh, like, it's the opposite of that. Like this, this defines like if this one's best picture, of course people sort of said the sort of the same thing with shape of water. They're like, it's a fish fucking movie and it won yeah. best picture. But um, <laughs> I mean, this will change, I think change people's perspectives on what award ceremonies are. You know, if this can win best picture, yeah. I know a lot of people who just saw it based on word of mouth and you know, they'll feel mm. like vindicated because I've seen that one, you know? Yeah. I, I, I... I, I think it's a great chance. It's a great moment. I, I look back at Oscar history and there were times, I think back to 94 when Forrest Gump, which is a much safer film, beat what I thought was the more irreverent and good film and long lasting film, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, I think back to 20, 2001, where you, you know, of, of, of the three films I'm about to name, which, which is the one that you would rewatch the least? A Beautiful Mind, which one? Or Moulin Rouge and Fellowship of the Ring? Um, like what, which, which of those three films had the least influence on future films? Yeah. <laughs> the Academy usually doesn't vote for the film that pushes things forward and everything everywhere all at once, no matter what happens on Sunday, or it, it's going to be a film that pushes cinema forward. Will the Academy actually step up and recognize it in the year that it happens? They usually don't, but all the indicators say this time they will. So I am, I'm. I'm braced. <laughs> I'll be on the edge of my seat when this envelope comes up. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope, you know, they get to take the, the Oscar home and they put little uh, googly eyes on it. And Yeah. You know. and, and I should say, this is another one of those things is where the Academy does make choices sometimes about what to represent. And I think up until the DGA Awards where the Daniels won the Directing Guild Award, I had thought Spielberg would take director and everything ever all at once would take picture and that line of thought may still come into play in some shape or form um so we'll see uh it, it could be a split year but like i said every indicator it's just bizarre <laughs> to think we actually made it here this far but everything everywhere all at once seems to have every indicator against all odds like i i i, 
a year ago, like I said, when I was missing key screening of the movie, I would never have thought. <laughs> here we are. This would yeah. be, here we are. This is the front runner, full circle. Um, as weird and as insane as that movie is, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, man. I hope we're happy. I still hope we're still smiling a week from now. <laughs> I, I still will. You know, it's going to take home awards regardless. Um, yeah, 100%. And I won't, you know, if it doesn't take home the big one, that's okay. Uh, it's just being nominated for 11, taking home the most nominations. Uh, A24 sort of dominating in general, taking home so many nominations or so many nominations. Yeah. Uh, is a big win for, for indie cinema and the small guy. So uh, I, I'm just stoked to, to see Key's name on this list in you know it's that's wonderful it's, it's absolutely stellar um yeah there's gonna be absolutely reason to celebrate uh on sunday there's gonna be a lot a lot of a lot of cool moments i think are gonna happen i think it's gonna be a fun oscars to watch because there's gonna be not just you know st stuffy awards with people ca talking about issues and actors giving speeches about political things that feel out of place these are going to be heartfelt moments of actors who have lived long careers and waited their life to get these moments and they're going to get, and they're going to have them and it's going to be amazing to watch. Yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, this is probably the most excited I've been in a long time, but as you know, this is our third year do just doing this and I've been watching them for a long time. So, uh, now, now having the motivation to get through as many as I can and, uh, you know, hopefully Tad, if you're listening to this next year, start earlier, um, try to, you know, <laughs> Don't don't try to cram them in one week because on top of this, I'm doing the other stuff. And so uh, I the the first time episode I recorded before this was John John Waters Pink Flamingos. Ooh. And going from Pink Flamingos to Tar is a big jump. Although uh, there is a connection there. There is a thematic connection between Pink Flamingos and Babylon. Yes, a lot. Probably more than one connection. Yeah. Well, there's there's, there's one I'm thinking of in particular. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah some uh fecal matter yeah a little little excrement in yes. both films but uh where can people find your work brian thank you for asking um i try to make it easy it's you can pretty much find me on any social media platform or on my website filmcrew.com crew is spelled like my last name c-r-e-w-e -E. and that's on youtube facebook instagram uh twitter if twitter still exists whenever you're listening to this um it's i i'm that's i it's it, just look up for that handle and i'm easy to find or you can google my name i i come up pretty fast <laughs> and what festivals you have coming out because this will come out in the next day or two uh and if yeah. people are in you know close uh, by if you're in los angeles on the uh the 16th and the 17th, we're playing the First Glance Film Festivals at the NoHo uh, Lemley 7. Uh, Cabasteo is in part of the opening night ceremony for the red carpet, and we're at 7.45. And uh, uh, Flat Earther is the next day at uh, on the 17th at 5.15. And if you come to the screening at St. Paddy's Day, uh, we'll be at the Federal Bar next door, and your ticket will get you 20% off drinks so we can have some green beer and toast uh Toast a good new 2023. The next weekend, or the next week, I'll be at the Underexposed Film Festival. Cabo is playing the 22nd on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I won't be there, but I'll be there that Friday at 7 p.m. for a screening of Flat Earther. Uh, also on the 24th, uh, we're uh, Flat Earthers at the Phoenix Film Festival. I'll be in Underexposed, so I won't be at that first Phoenix Film Festival screening, but I will be at Phoenix the next weekend for our shows on Sunday and uh, that 
like the last Friday in March and the first Sunday in April. Um, and if you go to my webpage, filmcrew.com, there are links on the film's pages to the festival's webpages and you can get tickets. They're all still available. So come on out, say hi. Uh, feel free to come and uh, scare me and tell me that you uh, really support guns after a flat earther and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you're, you're a festival director's uh, wet dream because you just you actually promote your films and you have, <laughs> have links to the tickets and uh, you're, you're the best man. Uh, oh, I mean, you guys are playing my movies. I mean, it, it, it's funny. You know, we're t- it's uh, a short film I did that played at... Uh, I think Snake Alley before you were the festival director called Far um, just recently got picked up for a YouTube distribution on a channel called Dust. If you go to watch Dust at YouTube, you can see our film Far. And it had like 70,000 views in um, in like five days, which was insane. And I love that all those people watched the movie, but they didn't get a chance to see it on the big screen with a, with an audience. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm spent, I spent a lot of effort trying to get people to theaters and I'm, I'm at, a, you know, 70 million, 70,000 people, 70 million would be great. 70,000 people in five days is amazing. And that's more people than ever saw far when it came out 10 years ago. But I love all the festivals that for two years were playing far in a theater. So somewhere between 50, you know, five to 50 people come out to watch it together in a theater and see it on a big screen. That's, that's the juice that I'm after is people seeing my work on a big screen with good sound in a cinema and, you guys who are making those uh keeping the festivals running that's that's that that's everything to me that's keeping cinema alive i appreciate it well anytime you know that we're big supporters of yours and uh we really always appreciate you coming on here and giving us all the uh best bet on the oscar pool hope hopefully nobody attending the oscar uh watch party at the capitol is listening because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to give out a lot of awards if they take all your advice. Uh, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's, like I said, there's wiggle room, so everybody can. I think in every award I gave you my choice, but also what could spoil the category. So I, I, it should be pretty even. <laughs> yeah, I know I took notes, uh, and I'll make sure to just copy what you picked because, like I said, <laughs> you always do your homework, and this is a lot of homework, man. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, and and again. We've talked about it. Now you have a good mic. We're going to have you on. That's not an Oscar movie. We're just going to watch one movie. And I'll... I have I have a thought, but we'll talk about it after we finish recording. But I have an idea. Okay. Well, you're you're going to have to come back on again soon after we both recover. Um, I know this season is outside of this episode is very busy for you also. So, uh, again, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to year four. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.